Their performances have created a legacy of landmark films. I want full surveillance. That's 24 hours, round the clock. We never close open seven days a week. Now, for the first time, America's two most electrifying actors collide. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast shaking our ass in grief over our dead horse. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with my counterpart from the other side of the arbitrary social divide that is cop and criminal, Chris Vile. Hello, Chris. I'm really upset. I am mad that I didn't get you screaming that I have a great ass. Well, I should have, actually, now that you mentioned that. my All right, we're bringing in our guest right now because I need right. to have our guest opinion when I when I say this. We have with us, of course, we are doing Michael Mann's Heat, so we had to bring in. There was nobody else we could have with us. Uh, returning for the first time since our MUD episode, uh, Vulture's TV critic and all-around pop culture uh, commenter, uh, uh, the great Roxana Haddadi. Welcome, Roxana. Thank you guys so much. You know, the introduction you gave me before, like, the TV critic stuff, it also could have been Bilga Abiri. <laughs> Fair. Bilga loves heat so much. Like, oh, the most. Yes. Shout out yes. to Bilga. Yes, Bilga, Bilga is, the, is sort of pop culture's preeminent um, uh, heat commentator. Michael but Mann, also, boy. yes, exactly. Um, my thing with the she's got a great ass scene, beyond everything else, beyond the fact that Al Pacino has said later that he's that he played the character as if he had a coke problem, which like mm-hmm. obviously. obviously. Um, beyond the fact that Chris right now has a background of bug-eyed uh, Al Pacino with in 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 the middle of of shouting that is he it starts to, to say forever. he starts to say because she's got a big ass right like yeah, you can see him stop it. saying it yeah and to me I'm like. That's sweet of Al Pacino to think of Ashley Judd in that moment and be like, I'm not trying to say she has a big ass. She just has a great ass. And like, this was the 90s. This was the 90s when big ass was not, you know, uh, valued in our culture the ways that it that it can be today. When I have called um, quite controversially with Chris File, I've called Barry Keoghan and Saltburn um, a uh, fat ass short king because I do think he has a fat ass in that movie to like. Parentheses complimentary. And Chris is trying to tell me that Barry Barry's ass in Saltburn was not everything that I made it out to be. Does Barry Keoghan have a big ass in that movie, or does he just know how to move his hips? That's all I have to say. I don't remember him being particularly big. I mean, I remember what happened. Obviously, it's a shapely bum, but it's yeah, it's shapely. I don't think it's maybe it's just in the sliding scale of. Hollywood leading men. You know what I mean? Like who's got like a real like juicy ass? Like can we name yeah. some people? Cuz I'm trying to think. I mean I, mean, I was Evans. Harvey Guillen and Well, I... Harvey Guillen sure, sure. Yeah. Chris Evans has like a real like like 
shapely is probably how I would describe that. Like that's yeah. the sweatpants scene when he's like hitting the heavy bag or whatever. Like that's, that's a good, good one. There's stuff back there. There's stuff there's back some, there. There's something like right on the tip of my tongue, and I'm gonna not meant to be literal. And I am gonna <laughs> have to think about this important. Wait, while we are though. Question. I'm glad we're on the subject of Saltburn, though, because you have yeah. written perhaps the definitive article on Saltburn, as far as I am concerned, by Thank talking you. about Jacob Elordi's eyebrow piercing. When I yeah. uh, previously in this podcast, I have talked to Chris about how my ideal sort of hot guy fantasy from my like teens <laughs> and early 20s was <laughs> a guy who had an eyebrow piercing and one of those mm-hmm. small little thin hoops. In mm-hmm. in the gate year, um, you know mm-hmm. the um, and so like Jacob Elordi in Saltburn, I think Emerald Fennell had like found a way to access my own personal subconscious, and so I want to <laughs> I want to have you sort of hold court a little bit on your feelings about Jacob Elordi's eyebrow piercing. I well, thank you so much for this incredible praise. Of uh, the eyebrow piercing is so good because I think it does tap into your brain of like a certain kind of hot male figure, which Mm -hmm. I don't know if that figure really works like in 2023, but that's why the 2006 choice is so perfect because like all of us were all like old and we all remember the 2006 (laughs) feeling of seeing a guy with an eyebrow piercing. You were like, Oh my goodness. He's like, sassy and like a little bit edgy and like will he kiss me (laughs) did i ever tell chris have i ever told the story on this podcast of the one class i took in college where i uh on the very first day i sat next to this really cute boy whose hair was dyed like fire engine red and had an eyebrow piercing and I intentionally sat next to him because, like, I was still, and this is still, like, I'm in college, but I'm not out yet. And I was probably around that time where I was like, oh, I need to, like, seek out vectors to, like, force me out of the closet, even if I was, like, unconsciously doing it. So I sat next to this boy, and we became, like, it wasn't a class with a lab, but we were, like, project, we were partners on, like, whatever projects that class would have you do, because we were sitting mm-hmm. next right next to each other. And so we were friendly, and we were doing projects and whatnot. And I even think, like, we, like, he, like, came to my house to do a project one time or whatever. And then at some point during the semester, I found out he was dating a girl, and I was mm. so crushed. And I was one of those things where it's just, like, first of all, like, bummer, but also, like, my intuition was so off. And, like, that was when I first, like, really was getting, like, oh, my, like, these these superficial indicators are not all they are cracked up to be. And just because a boy looks different doesn't mean that he's necessarily queer. But I do think eyebrow piercing, especially in the aughts and mid-aughts, does read as possible bisexual. Yes, I agree. I mean, it probably was not out of the question, but I was certainly not in any space uh, confidence-wise, to be testing those waters, Right, to be like, hey, have you considered? Have you ever considered? <laughs> you I couldn't help but wondering when I looked at your eyebrow piercing. Yeah. Did I love him? Was I in love with him? Who could right. say? Who but could yeah, say? The movie, like, largely, I think, plot-wise, does not work. But sure. all those little details, like the eyebrow piercing and, like, the ominous butler, like, those are all yeah. fun and I think do. 
Um, but that's like the bizarre, I don't know. That's like the bizarre balance of this movie where it's like, I don't think your messaging does anything that you want it to do. But like, I think as a message can... movie, I think you're right that it doesn't do anything. I think Saltburn yeah. is an incredibly fun movie, and I and I will keep it in my heart that way. Yeah, it's a movie exactly. that's like a mid aughts Tumblr board, like hundred percent. Even though its its song and movies choices violate the time space continuum, and I yeah. will stand by that. All of those songs are from 2008. Xavier Dolan has an Emerald Fennel voodoo doll now, I swear. He watched that movie <laughs> and is like, he's putting out a hit on her. I, uh, I think it was Kyle Turner that said it was straight camp that thinks it's gay. <laughs> That's maybe true. Yeah. yeah. There's, I'm fine yeah. with that. I'm fine with that. If yeah. you have your character, like, slurping up cum from a bathroom drain like you're not not queer you know what i mean like there is yes you know there's something going on there there's something going on there but yeah it made me i mean priscilla is what made me think like oh jacob alordi like doesn't suck because i'd only seen him in euphoria in which yeah he's playing a bad character but he's also playing him badly yeah um but i don't watch euphoria i have no that i have no business watching euphoria no it's it's, you don't it's purely a professional thing that i even though that's the only way you can have a hit movie these days (laughs) is to cast somebody from euphoria and yeah like pretty much but in this and priscilla jacob alordi good yeah okay moving on to our next uh, preheat topic uh, mm-hmm. uh roxana <laughs> this also comes from uh the the vulture slack that uh we were talking about before we started recording people on the vulture slack didn't know mm-hmm. this is okay pre like fair warning listeners i'm about to obnoxiously talk about promotional swag that we get at the end of the year now not it's, all of us get it and not all right. of us get everything that's true. Some of us get things that others don't. Some of us like it's a it's a very kind of like Some who of knows what mailing list you're on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're not out here, you know, constantly post. We're not people on this podcast who are constantly posting photos of all of our swag, no. right? Many of us Do professionally not us. are not allowed to keep the swag. There is oh. like a limit of swag that you can keep. Mm. Interesting. As a freelancer, I keep it all. Give away. Yeah. I don't keep it all, actually, because there's the thing, and our friend uh, Jordan Hoffman has written about this before, about the promotional swag that Netflix used to send out exclusively were mm-hmm. these, like, fantastically huge and heavy and cumbersome Beautiful coffee table books. books. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. But, like, what am I going to do with all these coffee table books? Like, at yeah. past... Like, once they start accumulating, I donated them. Like, I, should, I don't know if I should say this. I donated them all to my local library. <laughs> like, don't tell Netflix, I guess. Um, but it, I guess now people at my local... It's reselling them on eBay, which well, I see them being resold on eBay all the time. And at yeah. the same time, it's like, if you are a victim of our industry and you need to flip a coffee table book you got for free for $200, more power to you, actually. Oh, fuck, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But so yeah. Netflix this year... I've only gotten one coffee table book so far. I got a Rustin coffee table book. Same. They've been like diversifying their swag, which is really fun. Um, one of the things, the Nyad box was my favorite. You got like a really mm-hmm. nice water bottle, but then mm-hmm. you also got this large sort of cloth, big <laughs> microfiber cloth with the figure of a swimming person and, and Nyad written on it. And so in our group chat, me and Chris and Katie Rich, we were sort of puzzling over this and mm-hmm. I think Chris was the one who was like, I think it's a towel. And yeah. the rest of us were sort of unsure. And then my friend Matthew Rodriguez, who has also previously been on the show, um, was like, no, I talked to my partner. 
it's definitely a towel. It's one of the, it's like this like incredibly absorbent towel that like professional swimmers use. Mm -hmm. And so Roxana, you on the Vulture Slack were the only person who had that intel because Mm -hmm. people on the Vulture Slack thought it was tapestry. Yeah. Which who could blame them? <laughs> yeah, it but does kind of look like a wall hanging. They send a tapestry for. Not, I must be one hundred percent honest. I opened it and I was like, "What is this? A tapestry?" And then my partner, <laughs> who actually like exercises and like takes care of his body, he was like, "It's clearly a towel." <laughs> I don't know if it's clearly a towel, but it is a towel. It is most definitely a towel. <laughs> And I've I, been for using one, it. Will be using it as a flag, and I will be waving it during Pride season. Yeah. It was great. I've been but using he... it as a towel after I shower, and I will tell you, it is very absorbent and it dries yeah. incredibly quickly. So, like, yeah. I have been fully Nyad towel pilled at this mm-hmm. point. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. Thank you, Netflix. I just think it's so funny that all of us were like, "What? What, what other piece this? of swag has puzzled us this much?" That's the true. real question. It's I true. Think there's an answer. More conversation piece swag choices, studios. Yeah. Like, send us more things that, like, require a group conversation to figure out what they are. <laughs> How many film critics does it take to figure out the <laughs> what a towel <laughs> is? <laughs> All of us were like, what do we do, hang it? Like... <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad we are getting into these topics on the podcast. We are. This mm-hmm. is uh, essential. Essential. All right. Roxana, as I said yeah. at the beginning of this podcast, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to me, you were the only choice, and I know Chris agrees yes. with me on that. To talk about heat, you are the person who I Bilga Abiri, uh, uh, uh absolutely. But like of the people I like chat with semi regularly in mm-hmm. DMs and whatnot. You are my go-to for, like, Michael Mann fans. And, like, when I sort of, like, good-naturedly sometimes sort of, like, roll my eyes at Michael Mann fans, I have to be like, Roxana, I really like Roxana. (laughs) So, like... (laughs) It's a movie that, like other movies we have recently done, even ones that we like, uh, it is a movie that there is a high capacity for movies for people to be annoying about it online yeah that's fair and we had to have you on because you're not annoying about it oh online. thank you so much well and it's one of those <laughs> things where it's like i don't want to be like i don't want to be like setting a trap where it's like me and chris who like are not really michael mann fans and sort of like think a lot of his movies can be overrated i didn't want to like lure you in here and then be like defend your movie yeah but yeah. I'm really curious to see this movie through your eyes because watching it again this time, there are definitely things I really like about it. And I I easily see what so many people see in this movie, especially I imagine any aspiring filmmaker looks at this movie and they're so like wide eyed and impressed at how he pulled a mm-hmm. lot of these scenes off that like, mm-hmm. of course, but like there is a poetry to this movie that sort of escapes me and mm-hmm. a masculineness to this movie that I cannot deny turns me off. And in a way it's like, and I don't want to think of myself as somebody who's being like, it's about boys. I don't want to see it. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Like, I don't want to, I feel like that's a little, I don't want to be that simplistic. And so I'm eager to talk about this movie in a dialogue with somebody who can maybe pull out <laughs> some of my more nuanced opinions other than just like boys like their movie, um, which is reductive and wrong. Um, but like, why, uh, but you have the fact that like we asked you to, why, yeah. <laughs> um, why is heat such a big one for you? 
broadly. Man, this is like a lot of lead up to think about. But again, I know. Time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. It gave me time to prepare an answer, which is like a two part answer. And the first part of this answer is like you are 100% correct that I think it is like perceived not wrongly as like a movie for boys. And we sort of talked about this with mud, right? Like mm-hmm. what my partner has discussed is my taste in films, which is just guys being dudes. Right. So like there is like a certain level of just like <laughs> yeah. masculine stuff happening. There's the big shootout. There's like a car chase. There's discussion of like, what men do for their family like there's all that stuff right (laughs) yeah and i like i naturally just respond to all that stuff i maybe i uh, i don't know maybe i just prefer men i don't know whatever but i think my preferred is movies about women being unknowable to themselves so maybe that's like a totally (laughs) different coin yeah entirely each of us have our own like weird like little micro genres but something that i respond to with man's films in particular, is I really like his portrait of people who are obsessed with something. Like, obsessed with Mm -hmm. something larger than themselves that they can sort of bury themselves in. And it's about, like, simultaneously the erasure of self in this, Mm -hmm. like, larger calling, whether that is crime, whether that is containing crime, whatever. So it's simultaneously about, like, losing yourself in that, Mm -hmm. and yet also holding on to this, like, fierce individuality and this idea that, like, only you can exist. Like, these forces outside of you can exist, and you can Mm -hmm. lose yourself in them, and you can be caught in this, like, death match between like you and your nemesis but at the end of the day the only person you can rely on is yourself and i'm just like really drawn i think to those two disparate ideas which is like you're losing yourself in something that is bigger than you but you're also desperately trying to hold on to what makes you you so i just there's something about that balance which i think man does in like all of his movies, which I really respond to. And I also think, and I've like said this jokingly on Twitter, but I actually believe it. I think he's probably like our our most romantic, older male director. Like, I think he is genuinely like very interested in what men and women say and don't say to each other. Mm-hmm. And, like, the way that relationships can both be, again, extremely, like, obsessive and, like, sensual and romantic and also unable to sustain those forces and sort of, like, tearing each other apart. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of, like, I think his movies are all just about, like, the friction of trying to understand who you are when at the same time you're devoting your life to something yeah. That is larger than you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes 100%. a lot of sense. I think that was my favorite stuff about Ferrari. Yes. Um, I still haven't Chris, seen Ferrari, but go on. Ferrari. Yeah. I want to hear yeah. your thoughts on Ferrari. 
Oh, okay. We'll 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 get into it. We'll get into okay. it. I I'm very with you on this, even though I can be, I can run hot and cold mm-hmm. on Michael Mann, and like that's I think some of the I think all of that is the best stuff about Heat and the poetry of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think my holdout on Heat is just the plot. Me- like I mm-hmm. love all of that, but I need it like to hinge around more interesting plot machinations, which is like. Mm-hmm. I, I realize that that's half of the that's half of missing the boat on heat is like if you're interested in the plot of heat, yeah, you're not really signing up for or the what sort of heat archetypal thing of like the bank heist as like, yeah, a, like I, I just wish but don't the, you the, think he made it thing. the archetype that it is now in that oh, genre of cinema? like hugely, like yes, yeah. like it is a a sort of yeah. pillar of that genre. But even going into the movie, I think there is some sort of cowboy ideal of a bank heist in terms mm-hmm. of like like Pacino had already been in, you know, this iconic bank heist movie and Dog Day Afternoon mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. there is, I think, an acknowledgement in the movie, even if sort of just, you know, unspokenly, that this is this sort of great, you know, one of the great uh types of movies for especially like movies for dudes right like movies Mm -hmm. about dudes being dudes and it's just like um and it's this you know it's the bank job you know what i mean like you don't really have to explain it more than that it was just like why are we doing this because that's like reasons you know what i mean like there Mm -hmm. are no fickner (laughs) no quite literally this is a movie about well we have to do this because reasons like this is who i am the last job i don't you know like i think that it is playing with a lot of those yeah like cliches but i think Mm -hmm. it is doing it in a way that at least makes me think about like Okay, this is gonna get like <laughs> too revealing for myself. Um, but do like, it. go for it. A- as a person, I am prone to wondering, like, what the fuck are we living for? Like, what sure. is any of this for? Right. Yeah. And so I try to like transfer that like listlessness and aimlessness into like a larger thematic belief system that makes me think like surely what we do is valid because it is serving a larger purpose so i feel like i personally am always battling my own inner loneliness and maybe it's too far of a reach to say that i think this film is about men who like choose to be lonely and then realize that that loneliness is empty and they need more but then also realize that their actions have inhibited them from ever having more that's the (laughs) shit that like no that's exactly what this movie is about though i don't think that that's like no yeah i don't think think that's that's a stretch by any movie Yeah. yeah um i i mean because this is a movie that's like about dudes but it's like dude a dudes being dudes but the dudes are sitting around being like man it sucks to be a dude like yeah and i think that's why like as much as michael mann is like the guy's guy i do think in a lot of ways that is not entirely a correct reading of the fact that i think that he is like interrogating masculinity all the time like oh, in yeah. all of his films and i think he is really interested in that moment where a cold, closed-off male figure who is told that he can only succeed with that kind of persona realizes that it's bullshit 
and falls in love. Like all of his movies sort of have that moment. And like Miami Vice has that, like Collateral right. has that, Last of the Mohicans has that, and so right. Black Hat has that. So I just, I think he's really fascinated in like the choice that you have to make between like living for yourself and living for the idea of yourself. And I think those are like mm-hmm. different things. And he's always trying to navigate the space between them. So yeah, it's definitely like dude shit. I just think it's like, you know, like when people say that, like, when people say that, like, Den of Thieves is as good as Heat, I'm like, please fucking leave. Because I don't think that, like... <laughs> or, like, The Town, which very much copies, like, yeah. the bank heist. Oh, like, I just think, I just think Heat is far more, like, internally minded. Like, the heist is incredibly important. But I feel like the heist is, like, very secondary to what this movie is doing mm-hmm. yeah. with the central, yeah. like, romantic relationships. The thing that you said that sort of that I responded to most is this idea of the individual sort of making the space for himself amid what he has to do. Because the the, mm-hmm. the my favorite Michael Mann movies are probably The Insider and Ali, which sort of mm-hmm. makes me a yeah. cliche because they're Agreed. his two Oscar movies. You know what I mean? I don't like, think that's cliched. No, I think but I the think Insider that's different is so from what most good, people would though. say. And the yeah, thing about the is. insider is is that Russell Crowe has to be has to act as an individual, right? He mm-hmm. cannot act as like even with sixty minutes or whatever that like prov- trying to provide him with cover or trying to provide him with some sort of a safety net. Ultimately, he has to make the decision to act completely alone yeah. to take on this like massively huge and un you know near unbreakable corporate villain and he like so it's that so it's then the choice and i think the movie is sort of asking what what does it require of a person to make that individual choice 100 yeah and i think when you were describing you know i'm like that's exactly and and ali is a little bit different ali is and i now I'm I don't think I'm wrong when I say this, but like correct me if I am. Ali is his only real movie about a real person, right? His own I think uh, that's I think primarily, Public right? What's that? Oh, oh Public, Public Enemies. Enemies. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. point. Although God help me if I can remember a single thing about Public Enemies at this point. I think Public Enemies is better than we all remember, but I think it's difficult to get past the Johnny Depp of it all. Probably. The bank heist stuff is, I think at least the bank heist stuff is more interesting to me in Public Enemies than it yeah. is in Heat. Mm-hmm. Heat is almost like, I want him to just allow all of these characters to be who they are and allow him to go full, like, Shakespearean tragedy, Greek theater with this movie where everybody is talking about their feelings. And yeah. I, I feel like it's kind of rootless in the actual action of it. And, like... I watch this movie and I almost want no Bankai stuff and I just want them all talking about being how they hate their lives and they hate the corner that they've backed themselves into. Don't you think that's the decision scene where they have to decide and you get the great size more, the action is the juice? Like, I feel like that scene is like exactly that where they're all talking about like why they're doing this. But no, that's, I mean, like, that's the stuff in this movie that I love and I do really gloss onto and that I think is great. I just, I wish I cared more about what was actually happening in the Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. 
But to sort of mm-hmm. finish my my thing on Ali, like very briefly, no, is, Joe, you can't. It's Sorry. <laughs> that seems to me like the only kind of biopic that man could possibly do, which is a person who has no peer. You know what I mean? Yeah. That like Ali, 100%. yeah, could not help but act as an individual because first of all, he's in an individual sport, but second of all, Muhammad Ali had no had no peer, had no collective way he could act so so he is acting as an individual amid the sporting you know the sport of boxing mm-hmm. the sporting culture in general the american culture in general the american government and like all that sort of stuff and so that to me also sort of tracks with this idea of how does one person you know make their decisions to yeah. you know act I- within I love your read of Ali because it makes me so curious what you think about Ferrari when you see it. Oh, interesting. Oh, right. Because Ferrari, of course, for- is, a, is a real person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because Ferrari, Chris, would you agree that Ferrari is sort of like playing with the same like Ferrari as a singular figure within like post-war Italy and like the pressures economically, socially, and personally that he has? What do you think, Chris? We need your take. Yeah, 100%. Um, that was kind of, I mean, the the marriage stuff was my favorite stuff about mm-hmm. Ferrari. Imagine Agreed. the scenes with Penelope Cruz were my favorite things of that movie. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, she's terrific. She's it, it, This is what would happen if we saw Penelope Cruz give her Lady Macbeth, give her Harper Pitt. We would get this performance. Um, uh, yes, I, I, I think of his filmography, it is maybe close it's it's probably somewhere between ali and public enemies mm-hmm. um yeah all right i would say just in terms of aesthetics of like mm-hmm. what the character dynamic is a lot of what joe described like you were just saying roxana is it in terms of like they're both also sport movies yeah so in, there's that but again like singular sport movies right like you're entirely in charge of like your own destiny to a certain point Mm -hmm. because it's not a team really like they race as a team but they're really racing individually um you're in a box yeah yeah they're in a box you're contained you're trapped basically fuck ferrari's so good okay yeah anyway (laughs) um (laughs) roxana we're gonna have you uh deliver the 60 second plot description for heat but before you do so you can take a second and and maybe collect your thoughts while chris i'm gonna ask you to uh promote our uh patreon turbulent brilliance for a minute what is the number one uh reason that brought us here uh listeners if you don't know about our patreon we haven't hyped it as much because uh much to our surprise our sponsor level we call them our sugar daddies uh basically immediately sold out and if you uh we currently as of recording have two slots that opened up if you want to sign up at that level uh we very very much appreciate you but because there are sugar daddies have consecutively for three months been at that tier they got to pick an episode on the main feed and the first response that we got was from james telling us we are doing heat so uh this is a fun way for those listeners to have some control over the show james we thank you we celebrate you james wants to share his oscar origin story uh which uh, any of these episodes that we do, it'll be a little bit 
of fun where you can hear from our listeners and their Oscar origin story like we usually have with first-time guests. Uh, James talked a little bit about coming from an evangelical background and movies being the source to connect with family. Uh, Here's what James says. I don't have one single Oscar ceremony. It's more of a slow build from 97 to 99. James, relatable. Uh, I wanted to watch the 1997 Oscars, but I didn't even see Titanic until after it won Best Picture. I watched the 1998 Oscars, where I had more of the movies and learned more about how the Oscars work. I can make fun of the time interpretive dance score performances, but I also love them. James, absolute same. (laughs) 1999 was the first year I saw nearly everything and was, shall we say, conversant, even though I was still a high school student in Ohio. James, get at me where you were in Ohio. Uh, 1997 was my year, and that's when I became a film person for life. I don't know that I have anything else to say about the 1999 Oscars other than it was the best year for film in my lifetime, and they still managed to get them all wrong. Yeah. James, we maybe agree with you. (laughs) But James, thank you for giving us heat to talk about today. We, of course, had to bring Roxana on because all of the reasons we've discussed. But once again, join us at This Had Oscar Bus Turbulent Brilliance. That is our Patreon. You can join for $5 a month, or if there are slots open at the sponsor level, you can do so as well. And uh, what what do you get when you're over there, Joe? We get Two regular episodes every month. On two the first of the month, month you're going to get exceptions. Movies that follow the This Had Oscar Buzz rubric of disappointment and high expectations, but uh, managed to get an Oscar nomination or two. Most recently this month, we have an episode on The Mirror Has Two Faces. Wow. We've also done movies like Australia, The Lovely Bones, Pleasantville, and Nine... And then on the 15th of the month, you're getting what we call an excursion, which is a detour and deep dive into this head Oscar buzz ephemera. We've talked about uh, my experience at Magic Mike Live, the greatest night of my life, uh, recapped the 1996 MTV Movie Awards, which we can kind of sort of talk about in this episode. Uh, we did a recap of Hollywood Reporter's Actress Roundtable from 2016. And then we're uh, we're peppering in some random call-in episodes where our patrons can call in, ask us a question, and we will answer it. Uh, so sign up for this at Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance over at patreon.com slash this at Oscar Buzz. I will also say if you are a, a member of the Patreon, uh, don't, uh, check out the comments on each of the episodes that we post there because lively. there's some good lively. conversation. And also, um, I just today posted an update in our Mirror Has Two Faces thread about I found out where they filmed the where her apartment building is in the movie and where they filmed those insane end credits where uh, Barbara Streisand and Jeff Bridges are dancing and and humping each other i'm just gonna yeah, say it on the full streets on dry of new york humping city. in the streets of new york city so i managed to find the address of the place and i also found a fantastic new york times article that talks about the tumult that uh barbara and her crew brought to the upper west side in 1996 so uh definitely worth the price of admission to uh chat with us in the comments on uh on the patreon so uh, that article is definitely one of the things miss streisand leans to or like kind of nods to in the audiobook she's like people talk to 
about how we didn't talk to the neighborhood, but we did. It wasn't that big of a deal. Oh, something like, like that. It's it's a it's an amazing article. Uh, uh, worth worth forking over five dollars just to just to chat about to it go and talk about it with the rest of our patrons. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So. We are talking about Heat in this episode from 1995, directed by Michael Mann, written by Michael Mann. We'll talk about the the TV movie uh, origins of this and whatnot, Uh, starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. We will definitely talk about the historic nature of that pairing. Also, Val Kilmer, Ashley Judd, Ashley Judd's lip liner in one scene, which I thought was very important. (laughs) So good. John, that this movie puts the blonde people together so much that it has to make one of them a blonde. Trust me, I'm going to talk about that. Um, (laughs) John Voight, John Voight's mullet, Tom Sizemore, Diane Venora, Amy Brenneman, Amy Brenneman's accent, Natalie Portman, Michael T. Williamson, Wes Studi, Ted Levine, William Fickner, Dennis Haysbert, Tom Noonan, a weaselly little sliver of Jeremy Piven. Um, There are a few other uh, cameoing actors. Oh my God, Hank Azaria! I totally forgot. God, Hank Azaria, Hank Azaria not being ready for the uh, she's got a great ass. Henry Rollins and his big ass neck. Oh, we got to talk about Henry Rollins. That was my letterbox review of this. It's like this is a cinema classic of the Al Pacino beats the shit out of Henry Rollins genre, Mm -hmm. which was uh, a wild time. A wild time had by all. This premiered, uh, opened wide on December 15th, 1995. It finished, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. It finished in third place. The movie that opened number one that weekend was shit. Shimanji, baby. Thank you. Wow. Fantastic. Imagine going to the movies and like just like punting your kids into the theater to see Jumanji and then like you're going to go see Heat. Like that. It's so funny because those two movies, like, I, I mean, I guess that was the 90s, but like they don't even, it's something about them. I'm like, I can't even hold them both in my mind. Like they occupy. I deeply wanted you to go the other way. Let me read this whole box office top 10. I'm about to give you whiplash. We Please. we talked a little bit about uh, in our, I think it was our Mirror Has Two Faces uh, episode on the Patreon, how my thing sometimes is like, I love looking at old like, there there's whole twitter accounts or used to be of like they would just post newspaper ads from multiplexes and my my thought experiment is okay i can get a double feature this day what am i watching Mm -hmm. this is what i want to do it's very difficult on this box on this top 10 because here it is Mm -hmm. jumanji okay toy story shut up heat okay Father of the Bride Part 2. Wow. Sabrina, the Sabrina remake. <laughs> Goldeneye, The American President, Casino, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, <laughs> and then Money Train. Dang. Casino? Talk about Whiplash, but an impossible like two to at pick. At the same time? I know. Yeah. Wow. That'll take you all day. All. Yeah. We used to have it all. You'd spend God. like you wouldn't see the sun uh, if no. after the heat and and casino and double casino. feature. You'd just like go before dawn and leave uh, after sunset. Yep. Mm-hmm. As, as far as uh, like when we have the Oscar conversation, put a put a button in casino because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. definitely I feel will. like there's a little bit of these two movies canceling each other out. But we'll talk yeah. about it. I think right. I think you're right. Yeah, Roxana, I do have my stopwatch out. We oh my God. Uh, we're going to so challenge you. 
for a 60 second plot description with the caveat that like if if you've anybody who's listened to us knows that like we routinely do go over so like do not worry about that but um uh, do your best we're all counting on you and let me know when you're ready okay i'm ready all right begin okay so heat is a movie about two sides of like the cop criminal divide so there's like a team of like felons convicts turned like bank robbers heist guys who are led by robert de niro's neil mccauley everyone in this crew is incredibly hot and they just like do crimes and like are hot and then on the other side of it are the lapd detectives Oh my God. Led by Al Pacino's Vincent Hanna and everyone on his team is also hot. West Studi is there. He's hot. And the two sides are like locked in this like big eternal battle of like existential dilemmas and sadness and loneliness. But really there's like a bank heist and they're on opposite sides of the bank heist. And, and then they face off in a diner and that's very important as well and then they face off at the airport which is a great way to end a film and i think i'm almost out of time so that's my plot description hot men being sad boom only seven seconds over well done well done that is uh, quite a feat i would also argue uh, much to what i was already saying the plot kind of doesn't matter with heat it's just the rhythms of this existential purgatory that Mm -hmm. all of these men are basically in and Mm -hmm. the women that surround them as far as like these poor unhappy (laughs) oh man oh man i want to do them all in like their own separate section so but before um uh before we get to that you mentioned obviously the the de niro pacino face-off in the diner and Mm -hmm. We'll we'll get to like that scene. I know I keep saying we'll get to it. Trust me, we we'll get to all. Of we will. Things. I know sometimes to get to. I know sometimes I say we'll get to long. it and then we huh. forget to. But like I promise, no, we'll we will. We stuff. will. We will. But like, so there are two diners of note in this, plus whatever kind of establishment De Niro and Amy Brenneman meet in, which is like, a is it a bookstore cafe or is it a or is that two separate places? Because we see them I in the bookstore. The, I think it's the bookstore cafe. Shout out okay. to Borders, which used to have yes. Them. Yes. So besides that, there are two diner scenes, the one where Pacino and uh, and De Niro meet in. But there's also a place that actually shows up a couple of times. And I think it's the same place that the Mulholland Drive diner scene takes place in. I'm like pretty sure. Okay, it might be. Get at me, listeners, if you know. I tried to look in the IMDb trivia, but like, no surprise, all of the IMDb trivia is like, People used to think that De Niro and Pacino weren't in the same room when they filmed this, and yada yada, you know, like all this what? stuff. Like, yes. these are oh all the God. like real life like bank robberies that were inspired by <laughs> the heat. Uh, we want to know the diner. That's the important. I want to know not so, the diner with the big scene. The diner no, that the they, diner. they they hustle Wayne grow out of at the beginning, and then there's a scene towards the end where they're also back at that diner yes. in the daytime. Uh, Joe, um, you're, up the IMDb you're forgetting locations. the most important part of that first diner scene, which What's is that? Tom Sizemore leaning stares over. down that one guy. Mm-hmm. It's hot, great. extremely hot move. Honestly, the Shout best moment of Tom Sizemore's career. That guy looks up from his paper and he's like, "What's going on over there?" After De Niro slams Wayne Gross' head down on the table, and, and Sizemore is like, "Mind your business." 
Yeah. Yeah. It's R.I.P. Tom. You had a lot of problems, but yes, this great work in this film. Tom yeah. was the one who was in a relationship with Heidi Fleiss, right? I believe so. Yes. IRL. Yeah. Sometimes I get Tom Sizemore and Michael Mann's sort of personal lives confused. And not oh. Michael Mann, Michael Madsen. Sorry. Sorry, Michael okay. Mann. Yeah. Michael Madsen. <laughs> I was like, Joe. No, sorry. <laughs> you know who Michael Mann, though, looks like? As I watched a couple of interviews, Michael Mann and Stephen Bochco look similar enough okay, that I'm like, that. sometimes I'll see a flash of one and I'll think of it. And they're sort of like, those are interesting milieus to sort of paper over each other, the NYPD blue of it all. Yeah. Um, Chris, what are you putting in the chat? I just dropped it in the chat according to IMDb. So major caveat. It is a restaurant called Kate Mantellini and it is the only location that it is credited to on imdb so that's, that's the one of the for the de niro i'm pretty sure that's the one for the de niro pacino scene so yes um so it's not the other so one. it's not the one that i think is winkies in in uh in mulholland drive okay listen i'll figure it out as i sometimes do i'll figure it out after the podcast and i'll tweet i mean about it i very much would go on like an la diners from movies tour oh yeah oh absolutely yeah. There um, should be bus tours for that. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to like go to famous homes. people's houses. Yeah, I no, go to I don't care about diners that. from movies. I yeah. want famous diners, and I want my typical diner order at every one, which is yeah. Reuben onion rings, oh. blueberry pie with ice cream. Mine is turkey club, mm. no tomato, but with oh. cheese. Okay. Um, French fries, unless they're crinkle cut, I don't love like crinkle cut or like too like they need to be sort of like thin and crispy like fries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and then if they have lemon meringue pie, I'm getting lemon meringue pie. Like that yeah. is Good that's the hell. biggie. If yeah, not, crisp. I'll just get a milkshake and no actual dessert. Okay. Uh Sorry, my food order makes me think makes it look like I'm a five year old. I'm getting a ham and cheese omelet Ooh. and I'm getting grits, just sugar and bottomless coffee. That sounds good. Fantastic. Why would that be a five year old? Is a five year old drinking bottomless coffee? Well, I mean, I, I I probably was. <laughs> um, the <laughs> uh, no, it's just like I, I don't know. I just so feel you like keep it get breakfast. eggs at a diner. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, you keep it breakfast. All right. I do so that at a Denny's. If I'm at Denny's, I'm afternoon. getting moons over my hammy. That's just like that's what's happening. So I want anything that was on a flat top because like I don't have a flat top at home. Mm, right. That's so, a good like, point. So it's definitely like a Reuben, something that needs to be like crisped or like a huge stack of pancakes because I, yeah. pancakes are impossible for me to do at home. I just suck yeah. at it. But if I'm yeah. at a diner in Buffalo, I might do hot dogs because I'm very regional specific Ooh. about hot dogs. And there is a local brand here that is like the only hot dog I will really accept. And I might do, although Buffalo has that thing where they do like that Texas style hot sauce that is that like hot brown gravy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like that. Almost mm-hmm. everybody around here likes that on their hot dogs at a diner. I mm. don't. Um, give me some Are ketchup and relish. Split and put on the flat top so they get like really crispy. Uh, when they're on a flat top, yes. Yeah. Sometimes they come out of like the the steamer like uh, drawer. You know what I mean? And they're mm-hmm. like boiled hot dogs, mm-hmm. and like the buns mm-hmm. are really steamed. And it's like, they do that at the Bills. They used to do that at least at the Bills football game. I hope they still do. Um, this is really um, not helping how hungry I am. But I, I, really, <laughs> no. I appreciate the <laughs> into both <laughs> both of your beautiful brain. <laughs> All right. 
I do want to talk a little bit about like start at the very beginning about like the origin of this movie because Michael Mann um, wanted to make this story since essentially forever. And the the movie is like technically credited to based on the screenplay for LA Takedown, which was a Mm -hmm. TV movie that Mm -hmm. he had been working on. And that like, but he's talked about how also like like Mulholland Drive was supposed to be a series. Right. Yeah. But he's talked about how like the script for. It, he was like pulled out of uh or no that like the script for LA Takedown was pulled out of the script that he had for Heat but so like the 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 Heat script sort of existed first and and then he it's parceled a, LA Takedown out of it I think I think that's how he put it I watched I watched a, a interview of him uh from Tiff from a few years ago um mm-hmm. but it's it's um he had like embedded himself with a police detective to like research for some film or another that he was doing. And there, that's where he got the story about a, a cop who sort of has this like sit down meeting with a criminal. And they like that whole scene, like actually happens to this cop. I think the guy's name was actually like uh, Macaulay or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a uh, real life inspiration for that. I think that happened in Chicago. And so um, man has always been sort of working on this, but he had a 180 page draft of heat. And after he, um, uh, after he made thief, he uh, rewrote it and was trying to shop it around. He wanted Walter Hill to make it. And, hmm. Eventually, at some point, somebody was just like, no, like, you should make this. Like, I love these stories about these directors who, like, have to be told to, like, make their own um, passion project. Yeah, essentially. And so um, L.A. Takedown was a TV movie from 1989. Wait, I want to see who starred in it now because I always. Oh, Michael Rooker was in it. Michael Rooker was. I want to say that Bilga of course wrote yes. about this last year and he says uh the incident is taken from a real life event that man had learned about from chuck adamson a retired chicago police investigator and later screenwriter and producer who sometime in the 1960s ran into a man he was investigating neil mccauley and not knowing what to do took him out for coffee so yeah so it's like it feels like that idea then spun yeah. into mm-hmm. this larger film endeavor Looking at the cast list, the two main stars are actors named Scott Plank and Alex MacArthur, of whom I am not familiar. Michael Rooker apparently played uh, Hannah's second-in-command, who I guess in the movie is Wes Studi, maybe? Okay. Okay. Um, Xander Berkeley, who was in the 1995 Heat um, as, what's his name, Ralph, who's having the affair with, uh, with Pacino's wife. He played yeah. Wayne Grow in the TV movie. So oh, wow. um, that's interesting. And also, uh, to the surprise of no one, Daniel Baldwin was in the TV movie because, like, if you, if you, if I said to you, they made a TV movie of the story behind Heat um, uh, in the 1980s, you would say, well, yes, Daniel Baldwin was probably in it. And I'd be like, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> um, he had to be. I mean, why not? Yeah. Yeah. So. Obviously, the big hook for this, I watched the trailer, and of course, the trailer was very much like trumpeting this. This was the long-awaited first big screen pairing for Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, two actors who basically owned the 1970s and Mm -hmm. uh, were, I think, I looked at the list, and I think there were 
only two or three years in the 1970s where neither one of them was nominated for an Oscar. I think it's like general, genuinely like uh, once from like 72 to 81, I think there's like maybe two years that's that neither one of them are nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Pacino sort of has a famously fallow period in the 1980s and right. makes a comeback in the early 90s, wins the Oscar for Scent of a Woman, is in movies like Glengarry Glenn Ross and um, uh, Frankie and Johnny. And so he's kind of on this career upswing at this point. And then De Niro didn't have that like uh, dip point until his dip sort of comes almost immediately after heat. And mm-hmm. um, when he's, when he sort of starts attaining that uh, reputation for like, Oh God, like De Niro will take any kind of role or whatever. Um, when was Ronan? 99, 98. Okay. So I guess, I yeah. So I guess, yeah, it's, he stays solid through that. It's really the, I think it's really like the post analyze this sort of thing. Like analyze yeah. this is good, but like, I think that sort of like uh, tips the scales to remember he did that horror movie with, Dakota Fanning. Um, oh God, Godsend? Oh Is that what it was called? Godsend? I can't remember the Something title of it. Something like yeah. that. Um, but like, there was, like, there was just... Stardust? So it was like, he was taking risks. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, sure. 80% of the risks were like, yikes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, I think immediately after Heat, he does The Fan, which is a Tony Scott movie, which mm-hmm. is probably one of the least... Like fondly remembered Tony Scott, even He's like talked about Tony Scott. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like and like Tony Scott has is definitely a filmmaker who whose career has been evaluated and reevaluated and reevaluated, and like uh, there's there's a lot of um sort of a second more appreciative look at Tony Scott's filmography, and even in that, nobody really is like you know we should watch the fan again. It's just like yeah, no, nobody really wants to watch. Just the fan forget again. that one existed. But then De Niro would also do things like he would be a priest in Sleepers. He would be the doctor in Marvin's Room. He would be right. um, uh, like these the really Coron, sort of like great expectations, right? Small roles in things or like, and then like the real disasters where it's like Rocky and Bullwinkle mm-hmm. and um, uh, 15 minutes with Edward Burns. He eventually, Showtime, baby. right? Showtime. Who is he within that? Is it Eddie Murphy? Eddie Murphy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, Godsend is a movie that he did with Rebecca Romaine. The one I'm thinking of is called Hide, Hide and, and Seek. See? Oh, Hide wow. and Seek, oh. which was uh, which was a, a psychological thriller. And wait, wait. De Niro turned down a role in The Departed. What was his role going to be in The Departed? Nicholson, maybe. Or maybe like a Martin, one of like the Martin Sheen, maybe. I could see okay. that. Okay, I mean, I I think Martin Sheen. There is really the more isn't a role for De Niro in the in the Departed. Maybe that's why no. he turned it down. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't really make sense imagine. for any of those roles. It could not and, have been Nicholson, right? Maybe not. I mean, maybe on paper you also wouldn't think Nicholson for that role, right. but then Nicholson is just like I'm gonna be fucking crazy. If we're talking about a role on cocaine, like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. literally written with cocaine. Yeah, and then 100%. 2008, they do the second De Niro Pacino movie, which is Righteous Kill. Which to me, if I'm Michael Mann, I like file an injunction to make that movie not happen because it's like. <laughs> You, it's not like it makes heat worse, but it makes heat 
even infinitesimally less special. And like that kind of sucks. Like I think yeah. after Heat, you almost want to be like, you're not allowed to be in a movie together after this. No. Like this has to stay like no. this. Because one of the things about the Pacino De Niro pairing in Heat that I think kind of worked against it in the moment in terms of like its popular, initial popular uh, reception is the scene is a little bit underwhelming. And I don't really even say that as a negative, but like, it's not like, not qualitatively, but like, People like, are showing up for fireworks. People that's wanted not really right. what that scene. That's sort of what I mean. The fact that like people yeah. would for years talk about like they're not even in the same shot together, like that kind of thing, and like people didn't really re- appreciate what a um the, the like the pres- who are wrong Joe right, right right like the precision of shooting it like you know yes. over each other's the shoulders looks they're giving each other right. physicality. I- I think people were expecting, like, De Niro, Pacino, like, you know, helmets in a football promo or whatever, like, colliding and whatever. And I think to that degree, people, there was, I remember, an undercurrent of, like, oh, I guess that's all there is. That's all there is to it. It's just the one scene and then, like, the end or whatever. But, like, um, and, but I think the movie's better for that. I think the movie is, feels you know, tighter and more sort of the tension to me is much more, is much better for that scene being as quote unquote underwhelming, you know? Are you saying that the scene is better because they show up and the vibes are off? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I mean, I please, Chris, go go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I want to know. Tell me. I was just going to say, I mean, I think it's almost like it, it, I think the mainstream w- uh, the way that they would want that is not necessarily the artist they want to be. And like you described, you know, at least De Niro's fallow period, I think it's also true for Pacino as well after this. That And, you know, it's kind of like for uh, the last of a moment where they actually get to do something that's a little bit more daring, a little more unexpected. And, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of like honing human behavior mm-hmm. and human psychology on screen you know it's a lot more delicate and interesting than they would go on to do and i don't know i mean heat is definitely a movie for a certain vibe and perspective and you can see how especially if you're promoting it as some showdown between two of the greatest living actors that people would be disappointed. And, you know, you're releasing it at the holiday season. Maybe not the time to put out your deeply introspective three-hour tone poem. Um, That's the most perfect time to release those films. <laughs> How dare you? But it's so funny because it's like, when we talk about, like, showdown, I'm like, as an acting, as an acting showdown this scene fucking rips right yeah because it's mm-hmm. like oh yeah both of them are doing like such layered menace mm-hmm. but they understand mm-hmm. each other but they're not gonna pull on each other in this fucking diner like i think what works so much for this scene for me is that they're both professionals and that's yeah. ultimately what this scene is about right it's about like the personal professional divide and like how the two of them can respect each other for both being great at their jobs 
And yet they're mm-hmm. diametrically opposed to each other's existence. So it's interesting. Was it was it promoted? Was it mispromoted? Like we've talked before about how like Drive was mispromoted as like a Fast and the Furious movie, and then right, people were mad right. when that mm-hmm. also was like Ryan Gosling being sad. Like how did? Well, that- I also think like as as most movies were and probably continued to be, it was promoted to teenage boys, right? And yeah, okay. And I think that sure. audience is is going in expecting probably if not exclusively teenage boys, then like teenage boys and people who have remained teenage boys well into mm-hmm. their twenties and thirties and that kind so of thing. So even back then, because it's so funny because I think of that as like the marvelization of cinema. Sure. Because like I didn't really go mm-hmm. to movies like as a teenager or like as a child. So I don't remember what the marketing was like. So like it's so surprising to me to hear that even at that point, it was like, we got to get the what? Like the 14 to 19 year old boy. I mean, well, I mean, I guess here's... if you're talking about it in terms of like how we talk about movies today, it's like the Rotten Tomatoes critics and audience score divides. Of, mm, because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I was probably too young to be reading reviews and such at this time. But I remember hearing from largely men and teenage boy like eh, heat's not that good and mm. stuff like that. But like this movie got great reviews at its time. And yeah. even if you like, again, compare it to Casino this was definitely more of a financial success than even that movie was. Yeah, it's pretty good money. Million for, movie, for a movie but... that's almost three hours long to make $60 million domestic in 95, like, that's really good. Like, that's... Yeah. The thing, though, to, to sort of encapsulate the way this movie was marketed, though, you look at in the trailer, and then even you look at the poster, and the poster is, you would think, from an, any objective viewpoint now, you would think, who's on the poster for Heat? And you would be like... Pacino and De Niro, maybe in Counterpoint, maybe in whatever. And you look at the poster and it's Pacino and De Niro and who's right in the middle of them. It's Val. Like Val little himself. teeny Val Kilmer. It's Val. And he's also mentioned it's like Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, right. Heat. And it's because it was um. the same year as Batman Forever. And it was like five months after Batman Forever. And I think that was... Oh, look at it. With the poster on it, yeah. Oh my God. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I think that was like, Val Kilmer is a huge part of the marketing more even like mm-hmm. outsize of what his character is in the movie mm-hmm. um and it's because of batman forever and because they really wanted to sort of like rope in that section of i didn't of even audience. realize that that's so interesting it's absolutely batshit that what well, batshit <laughs> it is it's wild Hello. that those movies i know i didn't mean to do it i didn't mean to do it uh uh wild that those movies were shot simultaneously he was he shooting Batman as from Batman. he was do, shooting Batman as they were doing pre-production for oh, Heat, and he like he was like reading his Heat script like while he's shooting Batman or whatnot. Can you imagine? Thing- was this and this was one of the Joel Schumacher Batmans? The first yes. Joel Schumacher Batman. Oh, okay, yes. I love the, the only one that Val was like, in. What are you yeah. reading? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> honey, that movie sounds crazy. Um, so R.I.P. Joel. R.I.P. Joel. Yep. Um, I want to talk about Val, though, in this movie. Val Kilmer. Uh, Val is my male physical ideal in this movie. Can we, in this movie, just... he's the most beautiful I've ever seen him. Come here, man. In literally, his entire career. Whatever. The hair is so, you've never, he never did this hair again. This sort of like flowy blonde hair. He and Ashley Judd together. This is why sort of my, my little like bitchy gay review of Heat is like, give me the movie with just Val Kilmer and, and Ashley Judd. Because like, 
go. I want to see. Know. You need to. I don't want to watch more too. of that relationship. Oh, is that? Is it about them? That's Heat too. No way. Yeah. So oh heat fuck! Like them finding their way back to each other. Divergence. Well, not necessarily finding their way back to each other, but okay. you get the backstory of their relationship and uh, how they okay. met, what she was doing, how he like saves her. It's very hot. I think they're both so A-plus. good in this movie. I think he in in any scene where it's him talking with De Niro, that's so funny that like they barely have scenes together. That's most it's the most um telling scenes about their relationship are their individual scenes with De Niro when he's talking to De Niro about her and when he when De Niro goes to her and tells her to give Chris one more chance to stop seeing and he's being very menacing and he's like is not very nice to her but he tells her to give Chris one more chance and it's so funny that like not funny but like that's how this movie builds intimacy is Mm -hmm. when you get to that point later in the shootout where Chris gets shot and it's interestingly paralleled to Ted Levine. Ted Levine gets shot, killed, um, and mm-hmm. Pacino sort of has to take a break from the shootout to to check on him. And him, yeah. and so that's sort of paralleled with Chris getting shot and and Neil De Niro having to go basically rescue him. And yeah. that doesn't really make a ton of sense if you don't get those scenes earlier. And it's handled so economically. This is one of the sort of my favorite things about the script is you know after that Ashley Judd scene that, like, oh, he really cares about Chris in a way that sort of belies his sort of, like, you know, nothing in your life that you can't drop at the drop of a hat when the heat's coming around. It's Chris. It's like, he does. Like, that's the thing. And it's not Amy Brenneman, which I don't don't like that relationship and I don't buy that relationship. That's maybe my least favorite thing about the I don't think you're supposed to necessarily buy it, though. Right. Probably true. Yeah. But, like, the relationship, the one that he drops everything for... Is Chris. is is Chris is Val Kilmer? I love that, but I love that that's how they set it up. They set it up through the scene with him and Ashley Judd, with De Niro and Ashley mm-hmm. Judd. Um, I think Ashley Judd is incredible in like very, very, very limited work. I think she mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Diane Venora are both like really Damn standouts. So in, good in Diane in, in such like, and it's not super well served by the script. I think too. Like, no, Venora. No, I mean, I I think. I love Michael, obviously. <laughs> but I do I do think that Michael's women in this movie read a little harpish, but at the same time, I read them as believably harpy. You know what I mean? Like like mm-hmm. I think they're like a little bit limited and their dialogue is like a little bit eh. But mm-hmm. I also totally understand that she's like as Hannah's wife. Like, on the one hand, when she... Okay, so let's just talk about this specific scene. When she's like, I made dinner because I didn't know you were coming home. Like, I made chicken. It's like, look, he was out on the streets. Okay, like, your chicken doesn't matter. Well, and she just married this guy that week. You know what I mean? Like, you know this this about this guy. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, but, like, you made dinner for him. That's so nice. Well, and, like, and she's... an element to the female characters, too, that, like, these men are all playing archetypes, so they're archetypes, too. They yes, are they the they be. are the women of Shakespeare yeah. that are, you know... They have mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. They're the Lady Macbeths waiting for Macbeth to return home. Yeah. Well, and I love that in back-to-back years, Diane Venora did this, and then William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet, yeah, where she's man. Lady Capulet, and it's just like... Fuck. it. Yes, yeah. she is. <laughs> Chris.
Chris, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I don't just mean that I have my Christmas decorations up and uh, a, a, a candle burning that Johnny Mathis like singing tree. in the background. Genuinely, yes. Um, it's also the period in the Vulture Movie Fantasy League where the awards points start coming in. I have been somewhat unsubtle when I write the newsletter every week of being like, yeah, yeah, box office, whatever, jerk off motion. But like, <laughs> here come the awards points to be the real thing. And like, and thank my... goodness, because if it was still just the era of box office points, uh, there wouldn't be many points to go around. Well, more so than I kind of expected with the with the Taylor Swifts and Five Nights at Freddy's of it all. And you know what I mean? And like even Hunger Games, Songbirds and Snakes have been for when this better. is going for when this little uh, insert is dropping. I who drafted Boy in the Heron is getting those sweet uh, number one bonus points. Is it not going to be number one this weekend? It's going to be number one this weekend. Get the fuck out of here. What happened to Beyonce? One uh, weekend drop, wonder Beyonce. Wow. Uh, just uh drop. smh not a good um, time to release a movie i didn't realize when i uh when <laughs> i've been talking about like well yeah like renaissance got announced after the league started i didn't realize that like renaissance got announced two days after we locked lineups right for the right. fantasy league like it the, genuinely the two weekends just after missed. the thanksgiving weekend are notoriously bad times to release a movie too so i think it has something to do with that oh okay and like concert movies like uh, we're making excuses for beyonce it's yeah but like the reality is concert movies are not huge box office draws generally and when they are they are they appeal to teens and kids you know like the taylor thing is is an anomaly is one of those weird taylor swift anomalies that happen um but anyway good for boy and the heron i'm glad about that i haven't even you are much more up on the tracking than i am i will check tomorrow when it comes time to enter in those points but that's uh very cool so by the time you are listening to this uh our leaderboard will have uh probably changed some with the new uh box office points so good for all of you boy and the heron drafters for that in the meantime Chris, we can talk about the awards points that rolled in this week for the National Board of Review and the Independent Spirit Awards. Two um, two awards bodies that offer us a lot of points in a lot of different areas. I like the fact that the Independent Spirit Awards nominated first, so let's talk about them. Um, I think a lot of these movies are movies that are maybe not going to pick up points as consistently through the season. So I was glad that right now we got a chance to give Eileen some points. Let's say Mm -hmm. Eileen got a lot of good nominations. William Oldroyd was nominated for Best Director. Anne Hathaway and Marin Ireland were nominated for Supporting Performance. I recently found out it's Marin. Oh, like the county. Marin Ireland. Thank you. Anne Hathaway and Marin Ireland and Best Supporting Performance. Um Really, deserved. really great for that. Super deserved. Very happy about that. Um, also, Marin Ireland is in uh, Birth Rebirth, which oh, got some points. Yeah, she fucking is. We know I like that movie. Some of my favorite nominations. Birth Rebirth, unfortunately, I did not add it to the um, Fantasy League, mostly because I didn't expect something like this. And maybe that's a lesson for me going forward. The Judy Reyes nomination is so The Judy cool. Reyes nomination. Okay, so top so five favorite. Cool. Top five favorite nominations, uh, individual nominations at Indie Spirits. Go. Uh, I can. I can. Eileen acting nominations. Judy mm-hmm. Reyes. 
Um, I loved Erica Alexander getting nominated for American Fiction. I have yes. trumpeted that before. I we really want nothing love... but success for her. We love yep. her, even though I'm like, that's not a great written role. I don't care. I think she's so winning in that performance. I think she's really wonderful. Um, I love Birth, Rebirth in screenplay. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a really... I'm. It's So rarely do horror movies get recognized for their screenplays. So, like, I really love that. Um, uh, I know you are super happy about all these nominations for 1001. Yes. That's really good. Uh, I was really happy to see Kokomo City show up in Best Documentary Feature. Tell me about Kokomo City. Kokomo City is, uh, we talked probably talked about it in our uh, Sundance episode. I thought it was the best doc that I saw at that Sundance, and still it's at the top of my list of docs for the year, uh, directed what? by D. Smith. What's it about? to a lot of black trans sex workers. Fantastic. The vibe of this movie for like what many might call like a talking head documentary. There's so much style to this movie. It felt mm-hmm. like something from like the 90s MTV era. It just felt it like as far as filmmaking, pure filmmaking goes when, you know, we watch a lot of boring documentaries. Sure, sure. There is actual like style and substance to the filmmaking of this movie that I found really wonderful. Great. I'm also happy to see uh, Ben Wishaw get a supporting nomination for Passages. I, yes. For as much as we all rightly praise Franz Rogowski's lead performance, I'm glad that Wishaw isn't getting fully forgotten this award right. season. So there right. is that. Also, what a rad Best Director lineup, though. Andrew Hay, Todd Haynes, William Oldroyd, Ira Sachs, Celine Song. Like, that's... It's a good director lineup. It's a good I've been saying lineup. that the Indie Spirits... traditionally even for movies that haven't been as you know that that sometimes get forgotten three of their favorites are todd haynes ira Sachs, and kelly reichardt and what wins the robert altman prize kelly reichardt's showing up which so it's like they did still show up for their three of their faves also, can we say underrated year for queer filmmakers when you've got a mm-hmm. director lineup that has Andrew Hay, Todd Haynes. Is it Hay or Hi? Am I pronouncing it wrong this whole time? I feel like I've heard a million different pronunciations okay. of his name. Andrew Hay, Todd Haynes, Iris Axe, like are are three of our best. So that's pretty awesome. I love that. Um moving over to the National Board of Review. They followed suit from the New York Film Critics and gave their Best Film Award to Killers of the Flower Moon, which gives that movie some real momentum. I still am not quite ready to put that as a even momentary, momentary, um, momentary, where am I? (laughs) Camera, um, momentary favorite for Best Picture, um, but like... I am more and more confident, and certainly with the Lily Gladstone of it all, that it's not going to Irishman its way to zero awards. The fact that Scorsese has gone zero for 10 twice at the Oscars in his career is very wild to think about, that he's done that with Gangs of New York and the Irishman. But um, uh, I don't feel like it's going to be an O for year for Killers of the Flower Moon. So right. Good for that. And then uh, do you want to list off our top 10 films of the year as according to the National Board of Review? Along with Killers of the Flower Moon, you have Barbie, Boy and the Heron. Really cool to see that show up in a best picture or a best film lineup. uh, Mm -hmm. Just saying. Uh, Ferrari, 
the holdovers, the Iron Claw. They're going Yay. in for the Iron Claw. I still haven't seen the Iron Claw, and I'm going to cheer it until until the moment. If it ever disappoints <laughs> me, I'll be so sad. But if unless it does, I'm going to be cheering it no matter what. I see it this week. I'm very excited. Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, and Poor Things. So a lot of expected. Movies, there's no bucket but list also on this. Enough you for know them what I mean? To go away. Yeah. This is this is. There's not really a booger in this list. Right. Right. Which I like. Okay. You you mentioned the the boy and the heron showing up on the list. At what point are you going to pr- be prepared to sound the alarm for the boy and the heron could end up as a best picture nominee? I don't know. Um, maybe if because Disney. What owns would need to happen? Kids, right. Disney owns G-Kids, right? Who's distributing it in the U.S. I, If not owns, then has a relationship with, I would imagine, at the very least, right? Right, right. Um, I don't know. I mean, it would be really, really cool to see. I think that that movie is... It, uh, it's a... Even by Miyazaki standards, I think mm. it's a, a, a strange movie for Oscar. It is. It is. Um, but it but- would be really cool. It's getting the kind of placement that other movies, and sometimes, sometimes it's just about striking, like placing something in the right conversation, conversational right. light. Right. You know what I mean? And who knows? Who knows? I'm just saying, like I, I. But the thing that I like to think about, though, is what would need to happen for us to start thinking, start assuming that it's a possibility because it's not like it's going to show up on, I mean, I guess if it shows up in the PGA top 10, right? That's maybe the point. Yes. Well, would it show up in the PGA top 10? Is it, is there a, is there a, is it like the writer's guild? I don't think that they honor, they might not honor animated. I forget, but they are honor animated separately, I believe. Right. 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 So that's the thing is we might not know until Oscar nomination day that it's it's even because like the Golden Globes doesn't allow mm-hmm. animated movies in their uh, best film lineups and SAG wouldn't have it as a ensemble nominee. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where we won't know till we know, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, acting awards. Paul Giamatti wins for The Holdovers, his first big major prize of the year. Lily Gladstone repeats after New York Film the New York Film Critics mm-hmm. uh, as Best Actress. My man Mark Ruffalo gets supporting actor for Poor Things. I'm so thrilled about that. I think he's haven't seen it yet. So fucking hysterical. I won't overhype it anymore. Then, but oh, I think he's so and funny. also repeating from New York Film Critics, Dave Joy Randolph won supporting actress. Exactly. I think she is solidly, solidly on track for a nomination and could win. I don't know what's going to happen in supporting actress. I'd so I see I'm, it. I'd I'm, be so I'm happy. Nothing out. Um. Also, breakthrough performance. I was so happy. Tiana Taylor, a thousand and one. Rewatch that movie this week. I still think it's one of the performances of the year. Do we think there's an outside shot for her in Best Actress? I do. 
kind of. I mean, it's one of those things that like it needs a lot of conversation around yeah. it. But like she keeps showing up where she should show up. You know, we in... should probably put a pin in some of these conversations and save it for our uh, award season check in. Yes, 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 yes. We um, we'll be doing that on the Patreon uh, very very soon. So but more sort of go. NBR specific, the fact that they do spread so much love. We got ten independent films that also got nominee nominations: All Dirt Roads, Taste of Salt, All of Us Strangers, Blackberry, Earth Mama, Earth Mama, which also had some good nominations at the Indie Spirits, mm-hmm. um, Flora and Son, The Persian Version, Scrapper, Showing Up, hooray for showing up, Theater Camp, which also had some nominations at the Independent Spirit mm-hmm. Awards, and, uh, Grumble Grumble, and A Thousand and One. Uh, a Thousand and One's doing very well this uh, award season so far. I will say. Here's what I'll say without getting too much into the weeds that is conversation we should be saving for our Patreon awards catch up, et cetera, state of the race, whatever we want to call it. In recent years, National Board of Review, as far as their four acting wins, not including the breakthrough one, obviously, that aligns with Oscar, one of those performances isn't getting nominated. We could presume based on recent history with national okay. board of review okay and at this point i think it's paul giamatti we need to have this conversation you are much everybody m- needs to be everybody needs to be on alert if we don't want this to happen again where paul giamatti gets blanked for a great performance in a in an alexander payne movie that's we true need to have this and conversation we'll, so that it doesn't happen we'll <laughs> but, have like, more of this conversation uh, that they awarded, I think the most likely at this point of not getting nominated is Paul Giamatti. <sighs> I don't know, man. I just don't know who else is there an actor to overtake, but we'll have, you know, I more think of Paul Giamatti could as easily not be nominated as he could win. I don't see it. I don't see it from this vantage point, but I have been wrong before. So who knows? We'll see. Um, Ugh, I don't know. All right. Here's my thing. So NBR Icon Award goes to Bradley Cooper for Maestro. We have already seen... Did I send you that screen grab of all the weirdo bullshitty prizes that the Gothams <laughs> handed out after their like awards? Wait, I got to find it. Where it was like... Yes, because they, they gave an award to Barbie. They gave an award to... Gotham Awards. Barbie. Visionary Icon and Creator Tribute to Air. Icon and Creator Tribute for Social Justice to Rustin. Icon and Creator Tribute for Innovation to Ferrari. Historical Icon and Creator Tribute, Killers of the Flower Moon. Global Icon and Creator Tribute to Barbie. And Cultural Icon and Creator Tribute to Maestro. The Santa Barbara Film Festivalness of all of that. Right. Yes. Yes. It is the New York Santa Barbara Film Festival Awards. 100%. And I say this liking the Gothams. But with that, the fact that the Gothams made a point to give something bullshitty to Maestro and then NBR with their Icon Award, which is like the gold standard in bullshitty bullshitty awards uh, to Bradley Cooper. Do we, I think it's one of two things. I think either there is a groundswell for Bradley Cooper that may end up emerging in a best actor campaign that might actually happen, like might actually get him close to a win or Netflix is working really hard to make sure that like, even though the voters are not voting for Maestro, that they're getting it in somewhere. Having not seen the movie, I still think it's the latter. <laughs> I got a, I got a screener the other day because I also I'm going to go the, see it in a theater this weekend. The giant 
nearly broke my toe with that fucking swag box because the book slides out of its holder and like way too easily and the book is a thousand pounds um do i watch the screener or do i try and wait for when i'm in new york at the end of the month and could possibly see it in a theater it'll be on netflix by then so i don't think you're seeing it in a theater I think that's probably true. Although it is playing it more than just like the one that's playing it like IFC center and a couple other places. So like, I think you're probably right that I probably won't, but then like at worst case scenario, then I just like see maestro on my screener when I get home, like, do I wait or do I just like, am I impatient? And do I just like watch it now? Eh, I mean, I don't see, I don't think maybe you see it now and you like it enough to spend time to go. Yeah. My worry is that I see it now on a screener and I don't like it as much as I would like it if I saw it on a big screen. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't give it its due. My thing as a person of not seeing Maestro experience is that (laughs) the first time that I got excited for it was seeing a screen cap of Bradley Cooper as like a poppered out Leonard Bernstein drunk and sweaty was the first time that made me excited to see this movie. So you have never been excited for this one at all? Nothing had I even that when first the first trailer like, I thought teaser was so came well out, I was done. like, eh, it looks it looks beautiful, but yeah. I haven't been like, what is this movie until I saw Okay. Bradley I... Cooper as old age makeup, open shirt, sweaty <laughs> on poppers and coke with like All a right. solo cup in his hand. Now I now I'm very curious about seeing this movie. Alright, I hear you. I hear you. Um all right, to be determined. See what what I decide with uh, with Maestro. Anything else you want to say about box office? Beyonce did top box office with Renaissance, and nobody gets those points. But uh, Hunger Games is holding up better than other uh, sort of fatigue laden franchise movies at this point. Right. Um, I just watched it last night. Not and, a good movie. But uh, in the context know, good- of all your other Hunger Games watchings, where did it where did it land? Probably second to worst. To the last one? To yeah, the last, the last one's pretty bad and useless, but... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, Tom what Blythe else? has Slim Shady Rich Boy. I don't know <laughs> if it's I will say all our Benediction boys are showing up in other things, because what's-his-face who plays the real bitch? You know, uh, the guy who plays Siegfried's real bitchy friend who, like, is the one That's who Tom comes... Blythe. No! The no, the one who, as an adult, sort of reunites with him oh, at the end, right. um, is in that awful uh, Cary Grant miniseries that BritBox is airing um, oh. with Jason Isaacs as Cary Grant called Archie. It's not very good, but he plays the young. He plays the young Cary Grant. It's it's based on. It's based on Diane Cannon's memoir, and it is executive produced by Diane Cannon and uh, Jennifer Grant, who is her daughter with Cary Grant. Um, sure. Half of it is about his like three year marriage to Diane Cannon. It's like while also trying to like present the like the the real Cary Grant, who was like the person beyond the manufactured you know, the Hollywood persona. And it's like, you can do one thing. You can either give me 
the tell-all about this three-year marriage later in life to carry to Diane Cannon from the perspective of Diane Cannon, or you can give me the like the real story behind Cary Grant that starts decades before y'all ever met and goes all the way back to England and has a complicated relationship with his mother. And it glosses over decades of his career to like bookend it with this, the Diane Cannon stuff. And I'm just like, what are we actually doing here? And like, I'm not here to like throw shade on Diane Cannon. I love her as an actress. Oh, of course. Of course. But like, if I want the Cary Grant story, like there's, there's, there is unavoidable agenda in what I'm watching, and it feels like it. You really feel nice. like you're watching somebody making their case for, like, here is why I was a good wife to Cary Grant, and here's why you <laughs> great husband. And I'm like, okay, I don't want this story. We I don't need that. We need more of the Rock Hudson documentary where the one I guy said was that like, in my I review. want, I tried to. I said exactly that in my review on like, Primetime. That, yep. uh, that was me doing the uh, the the PG-13 version of that part of the... It mm-hmm. was fanta- a fantastic moment in cinema. Speaking of which, it should have won the NBR keenly phrased uh, award of Outstanding Achievement in Stunt Artistry. Which John Wick Four won, but like just a, just as a title of a category, I think we need to be thinking about this in our superlatives. Oh yeah, we are working on a uh, for another uh, tease to a reason to join the Patreon in the new year before the Oscars. We are working on uh, end of year awards where we are only going to do the outlier uh hyper specific awards like best, best grown up love grown-ups. story yes exactly exactly um best ensemble from sag best um uh, nbr icon award all of that sort of stuff where freedom of fr- expression freedom award. of expression best first feature all that there kind was of stuff. no freedom of expression award this year i know it was blank it was literally like blank on some of those uh on some they of could those have reports. just given it to rustin what are they doing slash not doing maybe they had rustin and somebody was like i don't want to give it to rustin (laughs) they like nixed it off (laughs) um not a good movie unfortunately um give it to poor things for uh women's slang i don't know (laughs) that is a best uh performance in stunting uh is emma stone (laughs) stunting on those hoes yeah yeah, yeah. artistry yeah 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 um for emma stone stunting on all those hoes in uh in poor things all right um I think that's it for our update. Listen, go to vulture.com slash movies dash league, and you can check out the latest version of the leaderboard. You can take a look uh, at, uh, you can filter by league and see uh, whatever league you're in. At this point, I'm going to bring up the All of Us Gary's League so we can uh, throw the appropriate amounts of flowers on Velvet Goldmind. Which is currently 17th overall and number one in the All of Us Gary's League. Fucking hell yeah. We have three t- three rosters from All of Us Gary's that are in the top 15 as I look at the leaderboard right now. Hell yeah. Go Gary's. Y'all are killing it. I'm very happy. Velvet Goldmind has on their roster American Fiction, Killers of the Flower Moon, 
Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, Asteroid City, which is currently at a big old goose egg in award season. And it's going to be one of the most amer- embarrassing things about this award season in years. And come. we'll be able to do an episode on it uh, uh, sooner than you think. All of Us Strangers, Past Lives and Poor Things. That is a strong roster that is only going to get stronger when as award season uh, moves on through. So um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Chris, uh, just FYI, Rogowski crop top stand is still in second place. So <laughs> to do the quick uh, loving of the Gary's league, uh, like team names, Theresa May December. It's I not salute bad. you. It's That's not great. bad. It's not bad. Um, yeah, we are, we're going to spotlight a different uh, uh, name every week, and Theresa May December is pretty good. All right, listeners, back to your regularly scheduled heat. You can feel it coming around the corner, and uh, uh, enjoy the rest of our episode. Wait, can we go back to Ashley? Because yes. your point of like Lady Macbeth waiting, like the hand signal, like it's just oh the hand the, signal yeah. so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's great. It's, it's great. so good because this thing that was his vice, right? Like the gambling vice that was his problem is what yeah. she uses to tell him to go. Like it's just fuck. Yeah. It's just so like meticulously yeah. constructed so that you understand. To your point, Joe, like these very economically provided to you elements of these characters, but they are given like such impressive meaning by how he like rearranges them in each interaction. And he cuts his hair at the very end so that he can go right off and film the saint, like right after. Yeah. So it's perfect. (laughs) I was going to say, because he had to go back to the Batcave. (laughs) What a time for Val. What a time for Val. Well, he was so, it was, this was his, all right. The thing I wrote down in the, um, in the outline was we need to make a visit to Val Kilmer's awards tab on IMDb because it is how much MTV is there. I feel like it's going to be a lot. It's the biggest portion. The two biggest chunks of his awards tab are MTV and the Razzies, unfortunately. So Uh, he is at this point, he's hot off of playing the world's hottest tuberculosis patient in Tombstone. Well, this is what I want to talk about. So he's a five time nominee at the MTV movie and movie awards. This was before they added TV and bastardized it. Um, Mm -hmm. He was nominated for best male performance in the doors. He loses Mm -hmm. to who the fuck did he lose to? And hold on. I'm, I'm finding it. I'm finding uh, it. Probably Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was going to say probably Schwarzenegger. Yes. Schwarzenegger and Terminator too. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. So funny. He's nominated for best male performance in tombstone, uh, 1994. He's, so good in Tombstone, but he's also nominated for most desirable male for Tombstone, which is fucking hilarious. World's hottest tuberculosis patient. I'm telling That's you, That's literally what does he die of in that movie? Tuberculosis. <laughs> it is tuberculosis. Oh, there you go. Yes, you he go. like no, he doesn't like die of. He doesn't get shot. He doesn't get whatever. Like he's that man is coughing up blood for sixty five percent of that movie, Coughs and everybody who was watching MTV at that time was just like, sign me Mm -hmm. up, get me more of that guy. And Mm -hmm. that's how, like, that's how hot of a movie star he was. And that's why he got Batman because like, that's crazy. Everybody fucking loved him. And then his only other post Batman, he's nominated again for desirable male for both Batman forever and heat, a dual nomination. 
okay. which is correct. It was not on the broadcast. We recapped this episode over on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Pitt wins for seven, is not there, which is probably why it's not on the broadcast. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt okay. winning for seven, I'm going to say is correct, because like there would not be a bad year in the 90s to give Brad Pitt most desirable male for literally anything. That's true. Like, but I also feel like... Uh, like brad in that movie is hot because he's brad i don't think the Mm -hmm. movie does anything to accentuate his hotness you know what i mean where well i will bring up the the janine garofalo caveat which is the uh police badge on the necklace sometimes like it's the necklace Mm. of it um (laughs) not the police of it but the necklace of it sort of like enhances the only thing i'll say about heat is that there is a moment where he and Neil go out to deal with the fact that they're going to be sold like the fake bonds and yes. Chris has taken like the sniper position and there's a moment where he like rolls into the frame and he's, yes. he's just doing like I don't know just like a roll like an army roll and it's, like the hottest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my to also endorse this nomination for Val Kilmer potentially over Brad Pitt's win in the category you're you're placing it on the jewelry, Joe. What is Batman if not like over accessorized? He has true. a belt. Well, he has a belt full of jewelry. Well, but here's the Gatling gun is jewelry. Here's the mm. the other thing about Val Kilmer, it's and this pendant. is what is because Batman wears the cowl. Mm-hmm. The most important physical feature on Batman is what his lips. Because His that's lips. the part of him yes. that you can see. And that is why Val Kilmer was perfect casting for Batman Forever. Because Val Kilmer's lips were gifted to him by a nymph, by the Greek, you know, uh, uh, island of whatever. Very pillowy, very they're, luxurious. They're very good lips. The and that's why George Clooney was an insane choice to play Batman. Because as all the good features that George Clooney has, he doesn't really have really good lips. And I feel so like I would want like George's voice with sure. Val's lips as yes. Batman. That I think yeah. works. I We've think cracked that totally the works. This is why Robert Pattinson has more of an open cowl because what do you cast Robert Pattinson for? The jawline. The jawline. The yes, jawline, exactly. the yep. jawline yep. and those fucking cheekbones. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Goth I'm Batman. Goth Batman. Yeah. Goth Batman hot. The rest of this most desirable male lineup is a little more deranged. Keanu Reeves for a walk in the clouds, which, you know, Keanu Reeves, yes. Keanu's a little bit of like a Brad Pitt, though. I don't think there's a bad year in the 90s to nominate Keanu for that. It's more just he was Keanu Reeves, that movie. Yeah. Uh, Antonio Banderas for Desperado. And oh boy, Mel Gibson for Braveheart. The MTV Movie Awards were all over. The most desirable. Mel Gibson is a former people's sexiest man alive. Like Mel Gibson, like the sex symbolness of Mel Gibson in the 90s, as deranged as it is in retrospect, like was a thing, was definitely a thing. I I believe that more for people than for MTV, which I believe is like a younger demo. So that's just the MTV movie. Like imagine all the teens coming out of that movie and being like, he was so hot. Like, yeah, what? I worry about all of their relationships with their fathers. Like, that's not, <laughs> not good. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. Val the was also... The most desirable male of that year, which this movie was nominated for other things, Bill Pullman and While You Were Sleeping. Oh, yeah. 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 Scene where he rips the butt out of his jeans. Yeah, that's important. It's a good Talk point. He's very attractive in that. 
So Val was also nominated at the Saturn Awards this year for Best Supporting Actor. He loses again to Brad Pitt, this time for 12 Monkeys. Uh, Brad was also Oscar nominated for that one. Other nominees in this category at the Saturns, Harvey Keitel and Quentin Tarantino in From Dusk Till Dawn. I think that movie rules, but I think nominating Quentin Tarantino for an acting award should be grounds to get you brought up on a, a yes. involuntary committal no, or something. Absolutely like, deranged <laughs> behavior. <laughs> uh, Tim Roth and Rob Roy, who was also Oscar nominated that year, and then Christopher Walken in The Promise, a Prophecy, a movie that I haven't seen in since that year um i remember thinking that like that was one of those ones where i was a teen and i'm like oh the prophecy that looks like really creepy and like i i very few movies i recall being let down by as a teenager because i tend to, to just like everything was awesome and that mm-hmm. one i was like hmm, okay um <laughs> didn't christopher walken do like three of those movies yeah he i think there was a lot, lot of them. them right speaking of like de niro getting a reputation for agreeing to everything like christopher walken will do a movie like that is yes yeah. christopher walken will work um, I like Brad Pitt a lot in 12 Monkeys. I would have liked for Val to have gotten something in this award season. Yeah. I, but it's one of those things where it's like, we talk about Brad in the 90s and it is just like banger after banger after banger. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, especially at this point where he's like, I'm going to start doing weirder stuff. And it's yeah. like, all right, dude, like, let's keep going. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm into this. And the yeah. stuff that was more typical was getting like worse, like seven years in Tibet and meet Joe Black yeah. were not getting the good reviews. And the good stuff was like <laughs> 12 monkeys. And like, mm-hmm. even like when he did like snatch in 2000 and stuff like that, people were really into mm. that. So snatch good um, though. Snatch good. Oh, snatch Joe is- and I are going to defend legends of the fall. Any given day. One yeah, of these days I will defend. Legends but of the fall. like Brad Pitt and legends of the fall is what I always say of like the, the most beautiful a man has ever looked in history. No, for you, it's Brad Pitt on the cover of Rolling Stone. Well, sure. I guess in a movie. Um, in uh, movement. He's very beautiful right. in movement in that so movie. I can't remember yeah. who, if you're the person who who made this observation with me, uh, get at me in our comments. But there's the moment in Legends of the Fall where he tips his cap to Julia Ormond and like it had been raining or it had been like whatever. And, like, the water. The water sort of splashes off the cap. And I'm like, that moment right there. That's the most beautiful <laughs> I've ever seen anybody look. Because um, the splash, it's like, same. Sploosh. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, of yeah. us. All of us are yeah. like, you know what? Who, the everyone in the audience. Who among us? Um, I, so I guess this can be our entry into... Um, oh, yeah. Before we get off of Val, the Razzies... First of all, I will never. Boo but Razzies. Yes, continue. The Razzies suck. Yes. The Razzies nominated him three times for worst either supporting actor or actor, all of them after Heat. He got nominated for worst supporting actor for The Island of Dr. Moreau, which is a very Razzie thing to do of like, let's take the troubled production and pile on. Yeah. Worst actor for The Saint, which like I'm not going to be here to tell you that The Saint is a good movie because The Saint isn't a good movie, but like horrible movie. <laughs> you don't need to pick on. I feel on like Val. The Saint is enjoyable, is it not? Yeah, it's he's I, committing. I had he a decent committing. enough time watching it. Yeah. Um, worst fine. supporting actor in Alexander. I disagree, if only that like if I'm enjoying myself in Alexander, like odds are it's because of like something that Val did in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Alexander has larger problems than yes. Val. But that's a similar yeah. to the Island of Dr. Moreau, right? This big yeah. project that flopped and had problems and whatever. The thing the thing that makes me angriest about the Razzies is uh, just earlier uh, this year, 
uh, in January or February or whatever of this year, they nominated Val Kilmer for their Razzie Redeemer Award, which is their condescending little like, oh, now you've done a thing that we like, so we're going to say, like, good for you for, like, finally That's doing gross. something good. And they did it for yeah. his documentary about his, like, failing health and whatnot, which is, like, doubly gross. And so, like, genuinely... Fuck you to the Razzies for that. In general, I hate the Redeemer Award. I'm like, at least stand behind. Your attempt to be nice only reveals how you suck, Razzies. There we go. Truly. But like, to make it about the documentary, I'm like, fuck off. Like, genuinely also, fuck off. It's yeah. also very funny because it's like, yes. do you think they saw that they got nominated for Razzies and they're like, wow, my career is really taking Yeah, like, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 gives a shit? Like... Being honest Especially now, because like it's one yeah. thing to talk about the Razzies in like the nineties when it's a- it actually yeah. got attention, right? And now yeah. they're they're nominating like Kim Kardashian for movies that don't exist, things right. like that. Like, um, I want to sort of broach the subject though of why ultimately Heat doesn't get nominated for any Oscars because this was not a poorly received movie. The critics, mm-hmm. like Rotten Tomatoes being an imperfect, you know, model as it is, but like the critics were genuine, generally positive on balance. The box office, as we said, especially for 1995 and for a movie that was, you know, three hours long, um, 67.4 million domestic mm-hmm. is kind of great. Um, yeah. I think ultimately, if we're going to have the conversation of why the Oscars didn't go for it. We maybe need to begin with that the expectations were so high for the movie that finally brings together Pacino and De Niro. And I think it's hard to, I don't like, I don't think it's hard to build a campaign for either one of those actors in this, but De Niro and Pacino are giving such very different performances. De Niro is very low key. Mm -hmm. Pacino is very high key. And, Mm -hmm. I think it sort of like it flummoxed awards voters long enough and it was so late in the year that they were just like, literally, whatever, we'll just nominate the guy from The Postman. Like Harvey Harvey Weinstein's telling us to do something and we'll just listen to him for, you know, once or whatever. And that's all I, that's maybe the best I have because like, it's not like it, we've talked about, Chris, how in the 90s, the Oscars felt more willing to nominate craft nominees outside of the realm of best picture right so right and it's like why is elliot goldenthal not nominated for this movie why doesn't it have a cinematography nomination it's why doesn't it have a sound run. nomination it was nominated yeah. by the sound guild uh for sound mixing like the oscars love sound effects editing nominations for shootouts like they love gun yeah. sound effects they nominate that shit all the time and so also warner brothers had like nothing else. That's the other thing. Nomination is for Meryl Streep and Bridges of Madison County. That's the thing. Like (laughs) nothing else. I think, uh, I mean, that's Meryl's best performance. I stand by it. Um, uh, I think everything you need to know about why Heat has zero Oscar nominations is if you look at what this best picture lineup is. Mm -hmm. They are not interested at this point in... I mean, I guess darker material, for lack of a better word, but like they're not interested in the three-hour philosophical movie about masculinity. Mm -hmm. Like when your darkest movie is the Best Picture winner and it's Braveheart, Mm -hmm. right? You know, which is like toxically, you know, ultimately is a movie that 
presents as uplift or is like mm-hmm. crowd pleaser, etc. But struggle, the rest of the uh, right struggle, right? Uh, struggle in like a mainstream, a sense. digestible, large scale war way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oscars mm-hmm. love war. Like they don't care and about the- like other types of struggle. <laughs> they are not interested what heat serves, which is war of the soul. Yeah. Well, and even the, the rest of the best picture lineup yeah. is Babe. Everybody loves Babe. Okay, yeah, Babe. The postman. Is okay. it so sad that man died? Apollo thirteen. Oh, yay wow. America and Sense and Sensibility. Great movie. Yeah, like there are very good movies in that lineup. Um, yeah. yeah, but you're right. And even the darker stuff that does get nominated in some of the other categories, something like Dead Man Walking has the uplift of this sort of like triumph over. Uh, capital punishment in that, like, you know, Sarandon's character is this sort of, you know, wonderfully warm and, you know, kind nun who's the sort of the face of hope for him. The only real sort of, like, dark, dark, dark movie is Leaving Las Vegas. Well, Leaving Las Vegas. Well, Leaving Las Vegas, I suppose, too. But, like, even Leaving Las Vegas has, like, I would argue some phony uh uplift to okay. it of like but elizabeth shoe is gonna go and blah 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 blah, blah. sure like, sure sure it's not a movie that's as gritty as i think it thinks it is well i mean i haven't seen it since back then so i couldn't speak to it it's been so long i just i feel like there's no surprise to me that the only or the first Michael Mann nominations are for The Insider. Like, it doesn't right. surprise me at mm-hmm. all. Because that yeah. feels like the most digestible to the Academy version of what Mann is doing in everything. But it fits their, like, we love social justice progressivism, whistleblower type sure. shit. Sure, You know? Mm-hmm. I'm less not- surprised... Sorry, finish your thought. No, 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 please. Well, I was going to say, I'm less surprised that he didn't show up in the major categories. But as I said, like the fact that like their cinematography category that year only has two of the major Oscar nominees. It's got Braveheart, which wins for John Toll, and Sense okay. and Sensibility is nominated. But then they nominate Batman Forever for cinematography. What? Yes. Um, a okay, little- I'm going to stand by that. That movie looks fucking crazy i I, I know people like make fun of the aesthetic of that movie but like go back and watch that movie and be like how did they shoot this how did they get this lighting okay i wonder if it also got um batman forever by the way gets like four nominations in total three nominations it's it's kind of amazing um but anyway other nominees uh emmanuel lebeski's very first nominations for a little princess that year and then um Shanghai Triad is nominated, which like is uh obviously the the Zhang Yi move, uh, movie. Um which is like again like Oscar stepping out of its of its boundaries a little bit, although they would always sort of nominate foreign language stuff in mm-hmm. the 90s and 80s and for for craft categories. But to me it's like I do feel like there's a world in which he deserved consideration there or in mm-hmm. film editing which nominates Crimson Tide, a great movie, but mm-hmm. like it's wild to me that Crimson Tide and Seven, and I definitely support the nomination for Seven. I think Seven is an incredibly edited film. Um, mm-hmm. But like that, those two movies can get in there along with Apollo 13 and Babe and Braveheart for film editing. And 
not consider something like Heat. In terms of like the sound categories, again, they nominate Batman Forever. They nominate Crimson Tide. They nominate Waterworld, which is like <laughs> this is how you know this is how you know that the sound the Oscars love wa- the sound. They of water. love in Avatar, sound the mixing. Sound of water. They love anything that incorporates water. And so mm-hmm. like that's how you know is because they nominated Waterworld. And there's just so many ways in which they could have and like who knows, maybe Heat finishes a close sixth in some of those categories. We'll never know unless you let us into the vault of Academy Museum. Wouldn't you love <laughs> that uh that publicity? But Heat doesn't show up with any of the other like industry awards either. It's so only I'm the sound skeptical about yeah. that. Yeah. But Joe, you mention all these categories and you don't mention that orig- this is one of the years of two original score categories. Yeah. How is Elliot Goldenthal's incredible score for this movie that i feel like if there's emotion to be had in this movie at least 50 percent of that is owed to elliot goldenthal like and i also feel like this is a score that has been essentially copied and mimicked and homaged in like other movie scores for the past three decades since Mm -hmm. this movie has come out chris they had to nominate the score for il postino which Give gets the win. win that year. They had to nominate James Horner. God bless and God, God, you know. Uh, listen, I, I stand up for Apollo 13, even though I maybe just diminished it five minutes ago. But you don't need um, to nominate that that's... and Braveheart in the same year, like for James no. Horner, much as I love. Oh, James but Horner. I think that, no, you don't nominate the Braveheart score right. because James Horner's score for Apollo 13. You don't great. need to nominate John Williams for Nixon. John Williams can like, John Williams, who was already nominated He's, in the other category for Sabrina in the comedy score category. Like, John Williams was doing fine. John Williams was nominated in the song category because he gets credited to the original song that got nominated. Yeah. Was there, like, a conspiracy theory where we just think that, like, they didn't vibe with it? Yes. I think that's probably no, I mean, it. Like, it, I, yeah, I think that's what you is... ultimately have to chalk it up to is just, like, it was not their thing. And sometimes... Movies that we think this is sort of why this podcast exists a little bit mm-hmm. is like sometimes we just have to get to the bottom of like, what was the problem here? What was the disconnect? Mm-hmm. What was going on? And ultimately, sometimes it's just like, it was just not their thing. Not enough yeah. voters thought it was their thing. It's funny to me that it's such a Los Angeles movie, but it doesn't seem to appeal to like, like, the LA, you know, you talk about like movies that like talk about like the magic of Hollywood are always such right. like catnip they to love Oscar voters. But this is a movie that is sort of like it's the most LA movie, but in the least expected way. He talked about mm-hmm. how he filmed it in locations that didn't get filmed at very often. I love that he films it at like LAX, but it's in like the field <laughs> behind mm-hmm. LAX, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, which and, is a tremendous and the, scene. all of that feels exactly like like something like collateral to me. Where it's like parts of LA that I do not the subway, think, yeah, like the certain yeah. <laughs> the, the like certain parts of like these cities. I think mm. most people watching them who are from those cities would be like, oh, I don't know, like is that is that like part of where we are? And it's like Michael yeah. Mann wants to show you the like forgotten, underground, ignored. This is going to be an odd comparison to make, but I had that thought while I was watching Past Lives was Mm. Celine Song picks some really interesting locations to film in New York City that you don't always, it's not like the same old, same old stuff there. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm excited to watch that one again for that very reason. Um, 
Wait, I want to dig into my little notebook of notes because I know that like my notes on this are all weird. Ashley Judd's lip liner. Oh, Tom mm-hmm. Noonan's beard in this movie is <laughs> It's so wow. good. I love Tom Noonan in almost everything. 90s and... dirtbag Tom Noonan because I'm also of course thinking of Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. Uh like Tom Noonan, who now it's like you see Tom Noonan, and it's like, oh, Tom Noonan. And, yeah, but, but in the nineties, it's like, it's like that guy. This fucking weird. You know what? But what, the other thing that I love about this movie, and sorry, this is like jumping ahead of my own no, point. Jump what ahead. I love about Tom Noonan is that he is like a grimy, off the grid hacker, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the great, but it's thing probably about, like, like the best person in this movie in yeah. terms of like he just seems like a good guy. <laughs> Nobody seems like a good guy in this movie. Like he seems no. like a good guy. He and West no. Duty should just like they should have their own little diner conversation where yes. it's just like we're just a couple yeah. of good guys. Yes, but to further say everyone should read Heat 2, Kelso has like a sizable role in Heat 2. No shit. Oh, yeah. you're going to make me read Heat 2, Roxana. That's going to be it's your accomplishment. It's very good. Okay. It's very good. Do what do you, you think the chances are that Heat that gets two. made? Into an Adam Driver that... talked about this on the, I believe it was at Venice. He was like, yeah, let's go. Let's just make it. Let's just do it. I think Adam if Driver. Ferrari does well, he'll make it. I think Roxana, we haven't doesn't. talked about this. Adam Driver made a Michael Mann movie. What were your thoughts? Your 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 Adam Driver, who you on this podcast were like, I wish he would work less, and and he made a Michael Mann movie. Where where did you come down? I thought he was very good. Okay, <laughs> good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I thought he was very good. I was like, I was very over it with like House of Gucci, and I was like a little bit over Adam Driver. I didn't Driver. like him in House of Gucci either. Didn't yeah. like him in House of no. Gucci at all. Also, just didn't like House of Gucci. Didn't think Gaga was good didn't like it i wanted um, more out of that movie i am yeah. famously pro leto in that movie pro leto was giving me what i wanted out of that movie which was insanity so yeah, yeah. which was luigi's mansion <laughs> it's essentially i mean like i've seen the dateline episode and i don't think it does more than the uh-huh. dateline episode when it should yeah. uh but yes adam driver very good believable to me playing older than his age exceptional with penelope him and penelope yeah. chris are so like that's a fucking marriage you know like that I, is my issue with that movie is the scenes that i cared about and the scenes that i didn't care about there was such an ocean between them but mm-hmm. the scenes that i did care about were those marriage scenes mm-hmm. because penelope is so wonderful they're great together i mm-hmm. wouldn't have guessed that they would have that type of chemistry mm-hmm. i think there's some it was shock. I mean, okay. I'll. I mean, again, we are not bragging here. I watched it on the screener that came in the neon mm. book, mm-hmm. and I, I really question if the version that they put on those discs is the finished, polished version because the visual effects look so bad as to be like this oh, is wow. a problem with the movie. I'm gonna wait and see if I can see it in a theater. Yeah. I saw it in a theater, and I in a Dolby. And I do not recall thinking that. There is like one climactic sequence where like I don't think the CGI was amazing, but I don't think it was bad. So maybe it like I thought it was really bad. So maybe the transfer is not great or yeah. ma- I don't know. I haven't watched yeah. it on the screener yet. I don't know. Um that's unfortunate. Yeah, I think there's. It takes a while for that movie to get cooking too. I think I'm going to like it the more that I sit with it. But Mm -hmm. there were stretches of the movie I was pretty bored, and I mean, do you not care about the racing part, or do you not care about the Shailene part? 
I I would have cared more about the Shailene part if Shailene was better in the movie. I think Shailene should not have done an accent. She basically doesn't. Yeah, like, I, mean. I, think if she, I think if she weren't doing the accent, the performance would be better. I didn't think it was bad, but I felt like more and a certain amount of her energy was going to maintain this accent mm-hmm. that did not need to be maintained. Right, right. The racing stuff I actually liked, and I thought the filming of it was incredible. Like, it's, yeah. it's it's some of it is just literally them latching a camera onto a race car, but it looks thrilling. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there there were just stretches of it that I thought were just a little boring. Mm-hmm. Um, can I say, visual- speaking of accents that serve to alienate me from a movie. <laughs> I want to get back to the Amy Brenneman of it all because yes, oh boy. let's do it. Yes. You mentioned, you mentioned, I mentioned that that relationship doesn't work for me, her and De Niro. Mm-hmm. First of all, the fact that she's named Edie, but like Edie with a Y, E-A-D-Y. I don't approve, I don't approve of that. I don't <laughs> buy her accent, but like you mentioned that like uh, t- there's a degree to which that relationship isn't supposed to work. And I don't disagree. Yeah. So, so expound yeah. upon that. I think that. Uh, I think it becomes very clear that Neil, despite what he says, wants out of the life. And I think that he is drawn to her complete unawareness of what Mm. he does. And so I think there is like a genuine like interest in each other. But I think that like he is making her into a lifeline. And to, like, a second chance at yeah. finding himself. So, like, the relationship is not really about her, right? It's, like, what right. she represents for him. Which is why um, I find it a little puzzling that the camera is on her so much when he ultimately doesn't go back into the car with her. You know what I mean? That, like, yeah, it keeps cutting back she, to her. I think she believes the relationship. Right. I don't think but it, we're meant to believe that he has fully invested, though. Right. I just think processing that moment through us looking at her is maybe Mm -hmm. not the best way Mm -hmm. of, you know what I mean? It's just like, I ultimately Mm -hmm. am like, at that moment, I'm just like, God, don't, don't go back into that car. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's better for, it's better for everybody. And maybe that is (laughs) what I'm supposed to be thinking anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, Their scenes together feel almost never about her. And it's like, which just forces the character to feel like the character just exists for him and i think aside from like the thing you're talking about um in terms of you know she's representing this last shot at another life i think it's also she it makes the character feel functional but their whole relationship also serves the to be the opposite of al pacino who is like a monster not really a monster but like he behaves like he's on cocaine and he's Mm -hmm you know, the loose cannon and can't communicate with these women who actually need him. Whereas De Niro gets to be more gentle with this person who just came into his life. And it's mm-hmm. supposed to be, you know, not what we expect those characters to be. I think so that's like, fair. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's serving this purpose to make this character still be the opposite of Pacino's character. Yeah. I and also I don't, are... but like, what does she actually do? Yeah. Right. Right. All I was going to say is I think a lot about the scene where, like, she finds out 
Mm-hmm. what he does and she's like running away from she him. runs up a hill yeah yeah and he's like chasing <laughs> her up the hill with like the la skyline in the background that to me yeah. is so much of like what we're meant to perceive by that relationship which is like he's trying to run away from his past and like run toward mm-hmm. her and capture mm-hmm. her but like it's not it's not gonna fix you right right um right. Mm-hmm. okay so here's There's the question there. so like who is the like are any of these relationships good? Like, I feel like Ashley and Chris, like, I feel like they're... Actually... I believe in Ashley and Chris. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I I want, the, I want the best for them. Um. Yeah, I think that's the one. I mean, it's certainly painting circumstances that makes it because of who they, these men are, but also the circumstances that they are in, it makes all of these relationships impossible to be good, you know, not just because of what they do, but also their own philosophies, their Mm -hmm. own inabilities to communicate or change. Tom Sizemore's wife seems very happy. Because Tom Sizemore is in it because the heat is the juice. Tom Sizemore is not looking for more, <laughs> right? Like he is like fulfilled by what they do. Whatever, more like Tom Sizemore, he's less. fine with it. Yeah. Like there's nothing that he wants further, and their relationship seems really good, actually. Tom Sizemore's <laughs> wife also seems like the most ported over from Goodfellas of anybody in this. Movie. Oh yeah, like... no, she's just like <laughs> she's accepting the jewels. Yeah, she loves him. Like, don't ask where he got him. It's like, ha ha ha. ha. I also love that. Like, (laughs) that dinner is what kind of like cooks that crew, right? Because that's where they're able to make all of them. And it's like that's the one. One again, it's like this. All this big talk about having no connections and like whatever. It's like what cooks them is family dinner. You know, Mm -hmm. when they all get out, then they all go out and and have a meal together. Like they are a a regular group of friends. It's kind Mm -hmm. of amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to talk about the the. Natalie Portman the scene where he walks in and she's she's in the bathtub and she's nearly killed herself which I think help me process this because the idea is at least to me that like this violence that he's been sort of uh uh, pursuing and talking about, he has that men- see, uh, moment in the coffee or in the diner scene with De Niro, where he's like, "If you're about to make, you know, some poor bastard's wife a widow, I'm going to take you down." And there's this talk mm-hmm. of like that he's doing it to protect other people, which for one, a is bullshit, and we know that because during the shootout scene, he takes the shot at Sizemore while Sizemore is holding the kid, and like mm-hmm. so, so much of that big shootout scene, which I know is like the bravura filmmaking, whatever I. All of that, yes. But I become Marge Gunderson during that whole scene where I'm just like, and what's it all for? For a little bit of money. You know what I mean? And it's a beautiful sunny day. Like that kind of a thing. I very much become that when it's just like they are just like turning this section of Los Angeles into a war zone for ultimately for a little bit of money. And it's just like, and like Mm -hmm. Sizemore's got this kid and Pacino takes the shot. And I'm like, just by taking the shot, you are a fucking psychopath to me. And it's Mm -hmm. like, and so then you, you know, you get to the Portman scene. And it's just like, is it is it supposed to be the thing where it's like it brings it home that like now this violence that has been sort of, you know, othered is supposed to come home, like hit him home? Because I don't know if that's necessarily the point of it either. And I I'm I'm just curious to like you as somebody who has seen this movie way more times than I have, um <laughs> where what function what does that do for this movie? What I didn't think it was so much about like, 
I mean, I suppose it is about the violence coming home because at this point we have seen him be at like the uh, murder scene of like the 16 year old sex worker that Wayne right. kills. And like we Whose know. Whose hair is different in the, when they find, did you, did, am I the only person who noticed that? No, I think, I think it's like very clearly they like used just a different. Yeah. And that's for, to the point where I'm like, is it just like, are they finding, is it like supposed to be two different characters? I don't know. I was a little bit. I don't think so. I thought it was supposed to be the same character. Me but too. I think it's just like a weird continuity. Blip. I want to talk about Wayne Grow after we talk about this though. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Wayne Grow. But <laughs> I, I thought that it was meant to be more about like his relationship with his wife. Yeah. And I, I thought it was right. meant mm-hmm. to be more about like what this neglect thinks. made flesh, like kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is too, that like it's neglect made flesh. Yes. But she also, I've always thought about the choice of like, why does she choose to do it in a place where he would find her? Because that to me speaks less about neglect and more like, did she want to die or was she leveraging that the only person He's who the could one help who could her in this her. situation yeah. is her stepdad? Yeah. So it's like, I think mm. it's more one of those things about like the mess that they're all leaving behind, but that they are still people who are capable of being loved like i think she does Mm -hmm. love him and like trusts him and like wants him wants someone Mm -hmm. to care about her and like the person that she wants to care about her is him and like what he represents in terms of like safety and well and the fact that he's only back at he's only back at the apartment when he is because they hit a dead end in the case. And like, yeah. if they don't hit that dead end, he never makes it home and she dies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and, and that to me is interesting too, because it's just like, it is kind of just dumb luck that he made it there in time because ultimately mm-hmm. his job is going to keep him isolated more often than not from his wife and his stepdaughter. And, mm-hmm. And like, and it, the warning signs are there with that character. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, yeah. Every time yeah. we see that character, she's upset or isolated, or you know. Yeah, and who and who notices it? Right. I mean, like mm-hmm. the mom notices it, but we also see that like the mom has her own shit going on. Right. Like the marriage is going bad. Like it's mm-hmm. not. Like she has tons of other shit to deal with. And I think about like him giving her a ride home like there's something like human about that relationship i think to remind us that like hannah isn't an asshole and Mm -hmm. yes he is in this job for like a certain degree of power but i do think like i do believe him when he says i don't want to allow you to make someone a widow i do think he cares about people and we're meant to see him caring about her as a reflection of that but yeah, then he takes the shot with Sizemore. <laughs> it's like, well, I think it's just meant to be like everybody here has dualities, right? Like Neil yeah. will kill everyone, but he will put himself in danger to save Chris. Like right. all of these people have characters who are like younger than them and yeah. maybe less entrenched in the life and more innocent than they are mm-hmm. that they are willing to protect. That's interesting, paralleling Chris and Natalie Portman. I didn't think about yeah. that, but that's 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 really that's good. Um mm-hmm. the 
the the other thing about watching Heat now at my age now and when I first watched it watched it when I was a teenager is is this idea of watching a shootout play out like that or like a police chase where mm-hmm. I think when I watched it as I was younger you just sort of you you take it as a given that these shootouts are necessary to catch the bad guys. And then you watch mm-hmm. it now and I'm always just like, just let them go. You know what I yeah. mean? Just like, <laughs> please. What, what's the worst thing that happens about letting him go rather than like this fucking carnage and chaos that you bring by trying to nab him at the, at the bank, just like, you know, I, it, and that's, and I've, it's only really been in kind of like maybe the last five to 10 years that I've even like come, come around on that whole idea because you're just so you take it as such a given from watching television and movies and whatever growing up that just like, yeah, you have to have a shootout with the bad guys or else they'll get away. Like, and now you're just like, yeah, like live to fight, like live to catch him another day, man. Like what the fuck are you doing? That feels so typical of the time though. Right. And and, yes, yes. When they cut. Feels typical of now. (laughs) It is. It is. No, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I just mean also like, wasn't there the big thing where the people did copy heat and there was a gigantic shootout? There in was LA? a big shootout in Los Angeles. Then like multiple <laughs> you know, like, people you would died. You think yeah. at that point that the cops yes. would be like, hey, we saw how yeah. he ended and we're yeah. not going to let that happen. <laughs> They're like, no, we need to kill him. Well, I remember for a while there before Fox News really became like Fox News when it was still like mm-hmm. the 90s and whatever. And mm-hmm. the one thing that I really knew about Fox News was they would always show police chases like whenever there was a police chase happening somewhere they would show it there and so i would watch these police chases and i remembered at some point somebody like alluded to this idea that like you know some people say that like police should that we should stop covering these and the police should stop engaging these chases because it like puts more people in danger and i remember being like sort of like gobsmacked by that and be like oh like that's like because you just I don't know. We're all brainwashed. Makes so much sense, actually. <laughs> We're all brainwashed yeah. <laughs> when we grow up with all of this stuff. Jesus Christ. Okay. Look, man, we all grew up with the OJ chase. I think we yes. all. Yes. Like, the well, and the French imprint. connection and like all of this. You know what I mean? It's just like the car cultural chase. The imprint that that left on us yeah. cannot be overstated. So Wayne Grow is an incredible character. Like, Wayne like the movie, the movie kicks off with Wayne, like when he just like, when he just like, boards this car seemingly like he almost plays like a goblin or something like that that sort of like visits like a force of a supernatural horror. yes yes yeah. yes it's a horror yeah. character yes 100 Wangro is Wangro is michael mann's bob yes from twin peak oh yeah. my god write that article roxana jesus christ yeah <laughs> um no you're absolutely right he is a supernatural being of evil who Mm -hmm. sort of like haunts like infiltrates this this crew and essentially like he's tony todd in the candy man a little bit too where he's just like he touches this job and everybody dies at some point and yeah except for for val kilmer except for chris yeah Mm -hmm. um but so, and every time the movie sort of checks in on him, he's also kind of Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men a little bit. Who where he also like, is a force of cosmic horror. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and like mm-hmm. when he like when he gets to to Van Zant and uh, all that sort of stuff, and then mm-hmm. going into that actor's bio is wild mm-hmm. kevin gage who plays wangro a was married for two years to kelly preston had no idea oh wow 
went okay. to jail, was sentenced to 41 months in federal prison in 2003 for cultivating marijuana, oh which he said he was doing because uh, uh, because he had stress or uh, injuries and pain from a car crash in 1993, but also because his sister had cancer and his brother had MS, so he needed to cultivate uh, this weed for like medicinal purposes for them. And okay, I, mean, I respect that if it were I, yeah. remotely true. Right. I was going to say, I yeah. respect the hustle, if nothing else. But yeah, mm-hmm. like goes to prison for like three years. And, That's crazy. um, but was also before that was married to Kelly Preston in the 1980s. So like, uh, wild, but also just like looks like, again, just sort of just like looks like this person who like wandered in from the desert, uh, uh, out of a hole from <laughs> from the center of the earth or something like that. It's crazy. It's amazing. Once again, do you think he's like the uh, like the primordial desert men in Twin Peaks: The Return? You want to keep bringing up Twin Peaks? Then yes, I will absolutely keep agreeing with you. Yes, absolutely. The other actor who I didn't put in my lineup for actors is um, well Tone Loke, who shows up, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I I am the Tiffany oh, Pollard. God bless the like, '90s for putting Tone, Tone Loke in Loke. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bud Court as Dennis Haysbert's asshole manager at the mm-hmm. at the restaurant, like God bless mm-hmm. everything. We didn't talk um, about Henry, but Henry's great. I mean, the thing that I love about Wangro is that Wangro's scenes could be an entirely different movie, but they work again to emphasize that like Hannah and Neil have like codes of conduct, right? So again, to your point it furthers like leave everything behind in 30 seconds That's bullshit. Like it's crap. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't actually live like that or believe that the only person who really does live like that is Wangro and he's a monster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and ultimately that's the other thing is he's ultimately taken out by De Niro and Pacino never realizes and may never realize that this is this serial killer that he's been, you know, hunting and tracking all these years, right? Like, interesting. I, See, I think that he would because you I think, think so. He from like, obs- I think he would be obsessed with knowing who this guy was, what happened. Yeah, like, why was Neil here? Okay, and he also feels totally like the kind of guy who would like run in Neil's bullets. See, to, like, to me, to me, he's a character who the next day some other case is going to happen and he's going to move like a shark, like perpetually forward and oh, he's not going to look back. I think that he is like changed by his altercation with Neil. Like I still think that he <laughs> is like a cop chasing absolutely yeah. like yes. But I also think that he is just somebody who would want to know everything about this man with whom he seemed to share like an actual elemental bond. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not giving heat to spoilers, but like sort of a little bit, maybe. Um, <laughs> oh. Uh, sorry, one second, one second, one second. I'm looking up this connection. Joe is putting a request into the library for heat too. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, Let me I need to that. know who reads the heat two audiobook because if it's not someone from like third tier of this cat. I need Heat 2 right to be read by Ted Levine. Oh, Ted Levine. I, yeah. The greatest voice in cinema. The man yeah. constantly sounds like Cher with a sinus infection. I love him so much. Uh, I have it. It sits on my desk. 
It is narrated right by Peter here. Giles. I'm seeing right here. You oh, look at see that! All of all of the little pretty like, Los Angeles. All the little oh. like pages I folded over. I love that. <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, there's a mar- there's a moment where Chris is described as like a surfer bro with dead shark eyes, and I'm like, hot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like That's talking good. my language. All yeah, right. Like, Thank you. Thank you for describing my perfect man. Thank you. Danny Trejo's oh. death scene in this movie oh. is so oh. gnarly and Brutal. sad, but like the the way they have him looking like his his head has been like made part of the floor like it's just like he looks like the guy in casino who has his head in a vice yeah it just looks like his head was flattened and it's all sort of like and then but he it's one of those great like movie scenes where it's just like he does have enough energy to get out all of the pertinent information that he needs everything you need to know it's just like i think it was van zant and he's like van who and he's like van zant and it's Mm -hmm. just Because he's loyal and, and he needed yes. to hold on to tell Neil. Uh, yeah. then, but his whole know, body looks destroyed in that scene. Like that's also just like a disgusting, phenomenal makeup uh, and like yeah. design achievement. Because I'm like, oh, your body like is melted? What is that? <laughs> Putting all of these actors' careers into the context of 1995 is really funny. The fact that like this movie comes right in between the professional and beautiful girls for Natalie Portman. The fact that Mm -hmm. this movie comes like right around the time that like my only really real knowledge of Henry Rollins was like showing up on MTV, like MTV live or whatever, just like talking about stuff or whatever. Like I never really listened to like, his music or anything like mm-hmm. that. He was just mm-hmm. sort of this like really kind of like buff rocker guy who like took off his shirt a lot. And I was just like, okay, Henry Rollins, like I'm into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but wait, what was I? Uh, um, this is what like, this careers? is Treo the year before from Dusk Till Dawn, which I feel like was um, a big one for him. And then, oh, it's Michael T. Williamson the year after Forrest Gump, which is, I think. Just oh, that's very so funny. funny. Right? Like, kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. What a cast. What, like, genuinely, mm-hmm. it's this. I, it I, is shocking we did not hit a six timers club on this episode. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of amazing. If you were, I'm going to put this question out to the table and then maybe we can do last notes and then we'll, we'll do the IMDb game. If you were to be able to hand out one acting Oscar nomination for this cast, where does it go? Chris, you go first. God, that's hard. I mean, I don't know. I am a big fan of De Niro in this mode. Mm -hmm. But saying De Niro of this whole cast feels so kind of i don't i don't want to feel lazy for saying de niro is what it's lazy because it's so good yeah i lean that way too. so i'm just gonna say de niro Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. roxana what about you i mean i would give it to de niro if he did not already have it from chris thank you chris Uh, (laughs) i would give it to val we're spreading the wealth here i really feel like val is like genuinely very unexpected in this movie and i think Mm -hmm. he does things with like how exhausted this character is of this life Mm -hmm. that are very impressive i mean obviously like 
uh, you know, the scene with De Niro where he talks about how, like, for him, you know, like, if, what is it? For me, the sun rises. Oh, the sun rises with her, and sets with her. I, God, talk the, about swooning. Like, yeah. Talk about, like, romance. Like, that's beautiful. Yes, and obviously, like, is. we've talked about, like, their goodbye. Yeah. But, like, his face when she makes, like, uh, the, the game, like the whole yeah. movement. Yeah. Like, yeah. So all of that, I just think Val is like really very good. And I think as much as I, uh, have talked about how hot he is in this movie, because he is ultimately there is like an inner depth to this character that I, I do understand why he's on the poster because yes, mm-hmm. they needed to leverage like his Batman ness, but I think he has like the most interiority and that's because of how Val plays him. Yeah. Well, you both took my other two answers, so I'm just going to say <laughs> uh, I'll throw it to Ashley Judd, who I is yeah. is very limited screen time in this movie, but I this era also of Ashley Judd is is incredible. This you know mid to late '90s, um, love her in this. Uh, any mm-hmm. other last thoughts before we move into the IMDb game? John Voight, who we didn't talk about, is styled exactly like Colin Farrell is in Miami Vice. Yes. <laughs> like the very same. Yes. Carbon yeah. copy. You you could say these are the same characters at two different timelines. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. Miami Vice is also is not only set in the past, but in a galaxy far, far away. That's <laughs> Miami. Um that movie is somewhat from space. Uh I finally caught up to that movie for the first time. That I I feel like maybe that's the movie that people are more annoying about in terms of I'm the right Michael Mann here, movies, Chris. but I actually I'm present. Huh? I'm right here. <laughs> I'm not saying I you are not annoying. I I kind of loved the experience of Miami Vice it's if I great. didn't always think it was good. Um the thing about Michael Mann is like I'm sure listeners have you know th- think that I think one thing about Michael Mann but like I do like most of his movies that I've seen like mm-hmm. and I I have to take back the earlier statement of what my favorites are because I do have to shout out Thief which is mm-hmm. At least just as a visual experience, incredible. Um, Manhunter is mm-hmm. also really, really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still have a mm-hmm. lot of catching up to do with Michael Mann. I think I think in general, though, I'm I'm not super negative on on any one Michael Mann movie that I can really think. Certainly it's not like a Ridley Scott thing where I'm just like, yes, he's done really good movies, but he's done like really bad movies too. It's like he's Michael Mann is much more of a like crap. Right. Right. <laughs> I do think there is, there still is. And I think probably inevitably, maybe always going to be a little bit of alienation for me from the, 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 um, and I say this with kindness, the cult of Michael Mann, but mm-hmm. that's fine because like, I, I'm the person who, like, just yesterday made another meme about the hours. So, like, I get it. We all have our own little <laughs> niches, and I can't expect to connect to everybody else's uh, tastes the way I can't expect other people to connect to mine. So, I we are. Ask Chris, something about Miami Vice. Go for it. Oh, go for it. Chris, do you feel like that ending is the same as the Ashley Val ending in Heat? I feel like it's the, I feel like it's the same kind of like romantic melancholy, which I always love when yes. man does. I I mean I I felt a little more swoony with Miami Vice, whereas like there's something about that departure in Heat where it's just like 
just never was gonna happen man mm-hmm. The, it, mm-hmm. whereas like miami vice feels more overtly romantic to me mm-hmm. um yeah i think they're grappling with the same idea yeah about like relationships can't last in certain kinds of work which i sort of respect well and the other thing about miami vice is that feels more like the how do i want to phrase this like the thematically the a theme Mm. whereas like the moment in heat is more like this is maybe the c theme Mm -hmm. after we've and we're gonna get back to a and b you Mm -hmm. know Mm mm-hmm that's fair that makes sense everything she gives in that scene please Mm -hmm. when she's when she gives the gesture but also when she says that that wasn't chris down there and then michael t williamson says to check the car anyway and the look on her face was Mm -hmm. just like did i just like fuck this up is this just like it's incredible acting it's incredible Mm -hmm. acting Mm -hmm. i love it okay i i feel like we talked about Pretty much everything I would want to talk about. I think the only other thing that I would say is like the opening, the opening robbery is so good. And that turn, like the Wangro turn when he kills the guards is just like, I remember the first time I saw it and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) And I still feel that every time. (laughs) It is. Well, and you do like, even knowing it's coming, you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, like, don't fuck this up. And like, it don't really is. It. It's epic because it really does just like set. It's that first domino that falls down. Mm-hmm. And um, it's perfect. It is mm-hmm. like pretty perfect the way that they they incorporate that character into that movie. Mm-hmm. Man, he's really good. It Guys, I just, oh. just decided he's really good. <laughs> Joe, do you have any other last notes? I. I... Oh, my last note is, what do we think of the Moby song during the final showdown at LAX? Uh, 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 I'm going to divert and say, God, the Elliot Goldenthal score is so good. (laughs) (laughs) I am a big proponent of the 10-year trend where people would just, like, use Moby in movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love the beach <laughs> and mm-hmm. I love the Joe, failure you're gonna love of Miami the Vice then. <laughs> and if, you, really, if you like Moby and movies, oh, it's basically that's like, so funny. All I ever I hear about if is there's an the Jay Z Lincoln Moby Park song thing. in it, okay. but like spiritually, it feels correct. I feel like okay. there has, I feel like there might be, but yes, strong Lincoln Park representation. Sure, I love that Michael Mann loves Lincoln Park and Audio Slave, just like me for real, for real. <laughs> and um, it's a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Audio Slave feels like a band who all of the members could have been in different Michael Mann movies, the way that like Henry Rollins shows up in this. Like at some Probably. point, I wouldn't be surprised if like Tom Morello had been like a lawyer in Black Hat or something like mm-hmm. that. Just I would have seen that. R.I.P. Yeah. to Chris Cornell. Because yes, he did a R. little R. bit of acting. I could have seen him. God, talk about something. people who were beautiful in the 1990s, like Chris yeah. Cornell. <laughs> yeah. All right. Chris, mm-hmm. do you want to uh read off the rules to the IMDB game? Put a man in eyeliner and an eyebrow ring, and Joe is toast. <laughs> uh, I'm not beating those. I'm not beating those allegations. No, Never one. they Long are hair. sticking. <laughs> yes, they are. 
Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. That's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. Mm -hmm. All right, Roxana, as our guest... Yeah, We are offering to you the choice for whether you want to present a challenge or accept a challenge first, and then you can set this little round robin in whichever direction you want. So either you give a, give a, give a name to one of us or you guess from one of us. Okay, I will accept the challenge because okay. i remember this being really hard but really fun and i did really badly so i'm excited uh so i will accept and then does from that mean me that or i from then chris god damn it <laughs> i'm looking in both of your eyes this is so hard the angelic eyes oh my gosh i uh, i don't know <laughs> pig whoever you whoever you have also picked who would you rather give that to okay yeah um, that's the easier way to think about it yeah okay i okay i will pick i will i will pick joe okay so chris will, will okay so i will challenge you okay all right okay cool, okay cool, cool and then you can challenge chris and chris can challenge me okay okay so I uh, ruminated on the existence of the Miami Vice movie, and then Mm -hmm. I thought, well, Miami Vice, based on a television show that Mm -hmm. starred, among other people, the great Edward James Olmos. Mm. And we've never done Edward James Olmos on this. He has one television show and three movies. So can you pull off Edward James Olmos? Okay, there are, like, three that immediately come to mind, and then I don't know what the fourth one would be. Okay. But, okay, I would think... I would think Blade Runner? Correct. Blade Runner is one of them. Okay, okay. I would think... I would think Selena? Yes, correct. Two for two. Ooh. Okay. And there's still a TV show. Yes, there's a TV show and a movie that are that are remaining. Okay. I remember Okay. I think Stand and Deliver. Correct. 3 for 3. His All you Oscar need to do is guess the TV show that is on his known for. I mean, this is going to be like very bad as a television critic, but I, (laughs) I genuinely cannot. I have no idea. (laughs) It's he's the lead of this show. So this tells me that you didn't watch the show because if you watched it, you would, I would yeah, have thought I you, have like you I have no this. memory. If you haven't watched it, I think you would really like it. So, um, uh, uh, he was the lead of it. It did not get like Emmy nominations, but critics loved it. Like it was one of those like best shows that's not getting nominated for Emmys. It's uh genre. Um, it was on. Well, his co-star got an Emmy nomination for it, right? Nope. 
No, I don't oh, believe so. Oh, I thought so. she did. Nope, never, never. I mean, if it's genre. It was on cable, genre, basic cable. Okay, okay, okay. But if it's genre and basic cable, then that tells me it's like a TNT or a TBS or like a sci-fi. And like mm-hmm. the big one of those shows that I did not watch was Battlestar? Battlestar Galactica. In fact, okay. he is the lead okay. of Battlestar there Galactica. We well Why done. Why do I Battle remember Star? Mary McDonald is getting nominated for that show? I don't know. Maybe because people really wanted it. But she... Yeah. Battlestar you can double check it, but I'm pretty Expanse sure never. Are like the two big sci-fi shows that like... Oh, the Expanse. I should watch at some point. <laughs> I genuinely I think like you would expanse. really love Battlestar Galactica. Like, okay. I think that's that's a show that I can see you really okay. loving. But I'm double checking to make expanse? sure Mary McDonald never got not. Oh, I love the Expanse too, but like, okay. I'm okay. I'm yeah, less confident expanse. in recommending that show to people because okay. it does get like weirdo schmierdo. Uh, uh, it goes a little off the rails. Um, plus, okay. I never finished it. I got to finish it at some point. Um, it, I feel like that was like one of the only shows that like it had like a scandal, but like it dealt with it. Right? Am I remembering this correctly? I don't remember the scandal for the Expanse. Although God, I thought that there was like a cast member who was doing like sexual harassment or like abuse things, and they just like fired them immediately. I thought. Yeah, I, I should also say that stories. like. Many people feel like Battlestar Galactica also went off the rails in the last season. So, like, no promises sure. that uh, it ends well. But what what ends well <laughs> sure. these days? Uh, all right. So, you all now quiz Chris. Okay. So, so I go to this You pick a name. Yeah. Page. Just pick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever okay. name you've selected, you give to Chris. Okay. Mm, this is hard. Okay. I'm going to go with my first suggestion for this. Which was Kirsten Dunst. Right. Oh, fun. Okay. I love this. Okay. Bring it on. Okay. Oh, that wasn't just a sentiment. That's a guess. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, Kirsten. <laughs> it is. That is incorrect. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's surprising. That's going to throw me it off. It is surprising. I was surprised by that as well. But thank you, Joe. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I did think for a second you were just like, bring it on, man. Let's do it. Let's- mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Power of the Dog did show up for somebody else, so I'm going to say Power of the Dog. Um, Chris, that is also incorrect. <laughs> wow. Didn't it show up? Did it show up for Jesse Plemons, Joe? I'll- somebody. I suppose that's different than her. Okay. Um. Wow. What are my years then? Uh, Your years are... Clues? I'm sorry. No, well, you give them the years of the four movies that are still remaining. Okay. So you have two selections from 1994. Cool. You have one selection from 2002. And you have one selection from 2011. Okay. 2002 is Spider-Man. Correct. One of the 94s is Interview with a Vampire. Correct. Colon, the Vampire Chronicles. Mm-hmm. So now you're at 50%. So another 1994 I... and a 2000. Is it Little Women? Correct. So you have. <laughs> little Women, but not Jumanji is wild. It is a little wild. No Bring It On is a little wild. No Virgin Suicides is. Yeah. No Marie Antoinette. Oh my Come God. Come on. Yeah. 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 Okay, okay. So. 
2011, mm-hmm. which were we just talking about 2011, Joe? He might have been. Would you like a a clue of some kind? Am I allowed to provide a clue, Joe? I think I can maybe get there. Okay. Because oh, okay. So this is the year. This is at least Oscar year. This is the artist. Yeah. Which. Uh, so I don't think that's going to help me. Okay. Doing awards stuff, but what would she have been in that was like a sizable movie? Okay, go ahead and give me a clue. Okay. Her co-star in this is a very tall Swedish man who has a <gasps> bunch of other Swedish siblings. Oh, okay. Um so this he it's a it's a a Sarsgard or Skarsgard. Mhm. Is it too early to have been It's not Wimbledon, is it? Because that's Paul Bettany. That's Paul Bettany. That's- Wimbledon's way earlier. Um, I will say this movie was on a recent IMDb game for somebody else, Chris, and you also took a similarly longer than I expected time to guess it. Time to get to it. Okay. Um, (laughs) Joe, damn. Well, I know that Chris loves this movie, which is why it's always so funny to me that he can never remember it. Okay. But with a scar scar. Oh, it's melancholia. Yes. There you go. Yes. Good job, Chris. Well done. Well done. All right. Thank you. Yeah, it was on so the Charlotte cool. Rampling known for uh, also. And I remember <laughs> you being like, who is it? And I'm like, she's mean in it. And you're like, I don't know. She's mean in everything. <laughs> <laughs> she could have, it would have been, she could have been Bachelorette if it were mean. Oh, she's so good it's in true. Bachelorette. I she's love so good her in Bachelorette. In I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, so for you, I went into the most desirable male lineup from that MTV Movie Awards, and Smart. I pulled for you, Mr. Keanu Reeves. Okay, Ooh. Keanu. I don't know how we've never done Keanu. Probably because for a while there, it was probably like three Matrix movies, and so we didn't want to do something that was <laughs> the monochrome in that way. But who was it? It was Regina Hall that you gave me, that it was like, the scary movies were somewhat at random. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is that a clue? <laughs> uh, so I'm no. going to guess uh, the original Matrix. Yes. Speed. Correct. Speed is so fucking good. Speaking mm-hmm. of movies that were in the mid-90s in that way, I'm like, I think I talk about speed the way people talk about heat, where I'm just like, <laughs> the scene where the bus hits the buggy full of cans is my shootout in front of the bank. Like, genuinely, <laughs> that is, that's the truest thing I've ever said about myself. Okay. Um, I don't think it's going to be Bill and Ted, but I'm going to put a pin in that. Um John Wick? Incorrect. If it's a John Wick sequel, I'm going to be Shocking, um, by the way. I'm shocked by that. Yeah, they're so popular. I finally mm-hmm. started watching the John Wick movies this year. I've only watched the first two. I'm going to watch the other two because I uh, I wrote about The Continental. Wait, Roxana, you and I talked about The Continental, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we, mm-hmm. we, had, we had conversations about The Continental. <laughs> what, Christopher Walken, were you conversations? Oh, see? that's You can't call something <laughs> The Continental because it does make people think about Christopher Walken, yeah, if nothing else. Okay. Um, Keanu. Oh, if only it no, was Bram Stoker's Dracula. That would be so funny. Is there a second Matrix? Is it the Matrix Reloaded? Correct. Okay, okay, okay. 
Cooking with um, gas. And then I'm going to say... You're close to a perfect... Oh, no, you guessed John Wick. You're not going to get a perfect score. I will will say, uh, uh, because of the occasion of us talking about heat, I'm going to guess The Devil's Advocate. Also incorrect. Damn. uh, Is Al Pacino more animated in Heat or The Devil's Advocate? I feel like those movies are in conversation. They are very similar They're very similar, but I think it's Devil's Advocate. Joe, why don't you think about movies about guys being dudes? Oh, Point Break. From 1991. Point Break. Yeah, there we Mm -hmm. go. Point Break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yep, yep, yep. Good Point Break being on his known for is really fucking cool. Yes, No John Wicks is shocking. Yes. It's shocking. Uh, Matrix Reloaded should be John Wick. Yeah. I mean. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Matrix Reloaded is still my favorite of the Matrix sequels. It's the only one of the Matrix sequels I really like, but it's not really for Keanu. It's for... uh, the highway chase, I guess, more than anything. Yeah, and the maybe highway chase fucking rules. Monica yeah. Bellucci. Um, yeah, I love, I love the sequels, but the sequel for me is Resurrections. Mm, that's the that's the most recent one. Yeah, that's the most recent yeah. one. I'm definitely yeah. reloaded because I love everything about the Merovingian and like how disgusting yeah. he is. <laughs> so disgusting. <laughs> He's so fucking disgusting. And Monica Bellucci being sewn into her fucking latex dress. Yes. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Talk about a costume award that should have happened. Like, mm-hmm. my goodness. Mm, talk about Vincent Castle cheating on her. What's wrong with you, Vincent? I have so many questions. Was it with I somebody mean, famous or was it just like with like somebody? Like, no, it was but, like she was like 19. It was like with a 19 year old model. And then he married her and then cheated on her and they got divorced. Man, so France has man, a problem. Like, they're doing, yeah. they're doing it differently in France. Um, Not good. Roxana. Yeah. Once again, um, a delight. A delight. A treat, the only person a we gift. could have talked to about this movie, but also come back anytime and talk to us yeah. about any movie. Um, what a what a what a delight to be here. If you get any other promotional swag me. that confuses us, uh, we'll 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 talk it over. We'll figure <laughs> it out. Um, <laughs> any other uh, <laughs> Jacob Alordi wears anything that evokes uh, high school. Uh, uh, high school discussion. memories. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Um, I'm yeah, so glad that you had an Adam Driver performance in a movie that um, uh, that you really uh, related to. Okay. Uh, is there anything you want to point our listeners towards? Where can they read more from you? Where can they find you? Uh, what? Uh, you can find me at Vulture. And you can find me on Twitter for now. I don't know how much longer. <laughs> I will be doing that. That seems to be the general, the general feeling. Yes. Twitter for now. Yeah. Twitter for now. But that's where you can find me. Thank you for finding me if you do. Read Roxana on uh, on, uh, Vulture. Everything is really fantastic. Oh, what did you write really recently that I really loved? Shoot. Um, I mean, read everything. Um, There was something very recently, though, where I was shit. Oh, it was the one about Rami. Um, Mm-hmm. Um, a yeah. really, really great piece about Rami. Thank and, you, Joe. Um, uh, God, my memory is bad. We've been talking about this movie for so long. I can't think of anything. <laughs> anyway, that is our episode, uh, listeners. If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, our Instagram at thisheadoscarbuzz, and uh, if you're not already signed up, find our Patreon at patreon.com slash thisheadoscarbuzz. Chris, where should the listeners find you? 
Uh, you can find me on socials at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. I am on Blue Sky uh, at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd at Joe Reed. Reed spelled the same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, Taylor Cole for our theme music. Please remember, you can rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility so when you're done silently warning your boyfriend to uh, get the hell out because the, the heat's around the corner, say something nice about us. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Buzz.